Welcome, everybody, to the Matt Townsend Show. It's a Monday morning. We're up and at them. Hour number one of the Matt Townsend Show. Welcome. I'm your host, Dr. Matt Townsend, your coach, your guide on the side. Welcome to the program. This is the show where we try to give you the tools that you need, not just information per se, but some information that might help you live a healthier, happier life, you know. There's a lot. There's a lot we got to learn. And most of us didn't come with an owner's manual. That would have been great. By the way, (laughs) speaking of owner's manuals, I spent pretty much the entire weekend putting a basketball hoop together. If you think Ikea furniture is difficult, try putting together a basketball standard. Now, Ikea is difficult because it's all pictures. Yeah. Sometimes oh. it doesn't quite mesh with what's in the box. No, that's exactly what. If they, I have, if they put some text, it might help it. But oh. I bought uh, I bought a universal uh, adapter whatever kit to fit onto my pole in my backyard, and I bought a, a, a hoop or a backboard. I have at least a pound of extra stuff. <laughs> When you're done, there's stuff left over. I have nuts and bolts that, huh. honestly. Does it seem safe? Yeah. Okay. We it's, we played. It's great. It's very safe, except nothing, none of the pictures were exactly right. None of the actual equipment was exactly right. And I had to go find different U-bolts. I didn't even know what a U-bolt was. I had to go find a different U-bolt. Took me, seriously, 12 hours. My body is aching. The hoop is up. I have a pound of extra nuts and bolts. Literally, a pound. Braces. Don't know why they're... Well, is it for different... I mean, you could set it up on a yeah. standard, maybe hook it to a yeah. garage, uh-huh. or th- those types of yeah. things? But they don't, they don't actually explain that. Okay. And the weird thing is, there's always three options yes. for how you can mount it, uh, but they only explain two. But they had step one, step two... Step four, never three. Never had the third one. But the third one was the one I was doing. Yeah, of course. But so, hey, when you got a PhD. You could figure this out. You figured it out. So what I learned is STEM scares the crud out of me. Even basic STEM. Basic STEM because these people that are in STEM, they're not going to be able to know how to make a manual. No. They're going to be brilliant. I would have loved somebody who had gone through STEM. And some engineer come over and put your basketball. Yeah, no. What about your neighbor? He's an engineer. Oh, no, he did. He he fixed my water softener. But they did come over when they saw me out there. I think they just came over for a laugh. Oh, yeah. He just came over and he's like, what you doing? Like fixing the doing the basketball standard. How's that going? Good. He just looked at me. He just looked at me like, do you need help? I'm like, I got it. I got it. My My manliness was like, no, you can handle this. So... This is why you, STEM is great, but you still need some, you know, writers. It's, 
it's always that sort of growing moment right. when you kind of find where the limit of your quote unquote manliness is. Yeah, yeah. How handy are you? Not very. Not very handy. Like you get the hole dug and you're not sure what the sprinkler does. Oh yeah, you're stuck. And and I can fix sprinklers, but don't make me put a system in. Right, right. I can change sprinkler heads, yeah. but when you're changing it and it, the the line snaps. Oh yeah. Then you're in trouble. Yeah. If the, if like the main line. Yeah. I'm in trouble. No, I remember I wasted like a million gallons of water one year. Yeah. I mean, literally, the city had to come find me. <laughs> They're like, dude, you're taking. I think you took like a third of our water. It's good to own a house. Why do people want to own a house? Come on. It's the American dream. Yeah, well, lose it. It's a nightmare. (laughs) That sounds negative. It's a little bit negative. (laughs) Developments over the weekend. What? The uh, German Wings Flight 90, what is it, 9525. Yes. The co-pilot, Andreas Lubitz, who uh, is credited for flying the plane into the mountainside last week. It apparently sought help for eyesight problems that could have disqualified him from flying, according to two officials who spoke to the New York Times. Uh. He underwent treatment for psychological issues and hid aspects of his condition from his employer. Also, his girlfriend said that he was planning a major act, so, quote, everyone will know my name. Oh, brother. That's the latest. And he never talked much about his illness to his former uh, girlfriend, only that he was in psychiatric treatment, and they broke up because she became afraid of him. There you have it. The airline is planning initial payments of $54,000 per victim to help with funeral expenses, and uh, I guess we'll go from there when it comes to any sort of settlements. Hmm. And the quote is, that is why the uh, airlines have insurance coverage Yeah, to take care of this, so... Oh, but see, this is going to get big. I think we're going to follow. Mental health has to become a bigger deal. We have to. It's not even this. Think about just every shooting. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And every, you know, giving somebody a gun. I mean, mental health is, it's going to, there's going to have to be. It's not like you can't just do a blood test. Just do a blood test and you can see what people are on. And then certain drugs, we just need a doctor's note or a psychiatric whatever. Over the weekend, former governor of Maryland and potential Hillary Clinton rival Martin O'Malley. Oh, this got crazy. He said the presidency of the United States is not some crown to be passed between two families. He was, I think our country always benefits from new leadership and new perspectives. We need a president who is on our side, a president who was willing to take on powerful, wealthy special interests. He was then asked, does he think Hillary Clinton would stand up to special interests? He said, I don't know. I don't know where she stands. (laughs) We don't even know what she's thinking. Just kind of takes a swipe. And she erased all of the evidence. Have you heard of oh, what's her name, Carly Fiorina? Fiorina. Fiorina. I can't. I've been yeah. trying to figure out how to say. She's the former Hewlett Packard yeah. uh, CEO. She said uh, on Sunday on Fox News that it's higher than ninety percent chance she'll run. See, she wants in. She wants a piece of Hillary. She ran for a Senate, the Senate in California in 2010, but lost by a 10-point margin. A CNN poll earlier this month found her with less than 1% of the vote in a hypothetical GOP primary. Oh, well. So that means people were like, who? Who? What are you talking about? Oh, but see, see, Carly and Clinton, that would be like kind of, you know, ra- what's her name? Rowdy Ronda Rousey. Oh, the UFC yeah. female champion? Yeah. Yeah, she just... This could be crazy good. Just go for the fight. 
Go for the fight. Iran is pulling back from the nuclear or nuclear deal. An Iranian official said Sunday the country refused to ship a stockpile of atomic fuel abroad, the core part of the proposed nuclear deal, just two days before the negotiation deadline. And uh, the deal there was to send their uh, uranium rods to uh, Russia to be de-weaponized. And then they would send them back so they could make, you know, energy instead of weapons. Oh. Send them. So Iran wants to send their uh, nuclear, the, the work they've so far accomplished in building a nuclear bomb to Russia to be de-weaponized, at which point Russia would then return the uranium and I guess the rods and They could use that for energy industrial. production rather than weapons. It seems a little fishy to me. The risk is leaving that material, of course, in Iran, right. and they could do that. And seems like a, a more natural deal might be just sending it right to North Korea. Okay. I can, you know, I, I just, can see how the, that would be the next step. Yeah. Uh, should Iran win the right to retain the fuel, the Obama administration is expected to argue that it would, be, it would not be a threat with regular inspections. Right. Until they stop allowing uh-huh. inspections. Yeah. I think he might be in trouble. So what happens if this whole, uh, if this whole negotiation falls apart? That, we're going to ask our, our great expert, Joe Cannon, in a minute about that. Because if this whole deal falls apart, then what? There's a self-imposed deadline here in a couple uh, a couple days, so we'll see what happens with that. Also, Indiana Governor Mike Pence, after signing a law into the, the controversial Religious Freedom Restoration Act last week, has been taking a lot of flack over that. He was right. on ABC News over the weekend. He says, we are in discussions with legislative leaders this weekend to see if there's a way to clarify the intent of the law. He says the intent is not to discriminate. The intent is to protect religious freedom. Yeah. Except the byproduct of one equals... Usually, the discrimination or the possibility of discrimination of, as uh, all yeah. the reporting comes down to, possibly LGBT people. We'll see, which is why the you know Brookings Institute had the LDS Church and LGBT uh, on there, and because they did a not a similar law, but they approached it in a way that maybe Indiana could have benefited from. Simply because you have to kind of you have to be bilateral. You have to give rights and support rights simultaneously, and that's difficult. To you do. can't do it unilaterally, or everyone thinks you're just out to kill. People. So Indiana is a big focus. Mm. A lot of companies there are kind of t- discussing what their future plans are if this law remains in place. Mm. There's been a call. Granted, it's Charles Barkley who said it, but take the Final Four out of there this weekend. Yeah, and that won't happen. But no. it is a, a, an idea. The NCAA has said they are looking into how they are going to deal with this law. They're headquartered in Indianapolis. There, it's 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 crazy. That thing hit the fan, didn't it? That went crazy. It's a um, it's a it's a day of politics, folks. We are going to take a break. When we come back, Joe Cannon, our political insider from Washington D.C., actually commutes to Washington D.C., but he's our Washington insider. He's going to be. Just running through the headlines with us, giving us his insight into a variety of political subjects and topics. We always like to do this the day after the Sunday talk shows. See what's going on in politics. We'll take a break. This is the Matt Townsend Show. You're listening to us right here on Sirius XM 143 BYU Radio. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. 
Hey, this is the show where we want to give you more than just the news. We want to give you the the so what. There's so many stories out there, but who really cares half of the time? And what should you care about? So we always try to just keep you informed to one degree or another um, so that you can take some of these lessons home, see what uh, what you need to know. Uh, in politics, we on Mondays, we always like to focus on politics because over the weekend, a lot of the uh, the news shows um, and especially the politically focused news shows spend a lot of energy, a lot of time talking about it. So we bring in our Washington insider, Joe Cannon. Joe Cannon has served as a chair of the Utah Republican Party. He's also the CEO of Fuel Freedom Foundation, was a U.S. candidate or a candidate for the U.S. Senate and also served as an administrator over the EPA, um, uh, um, assistant administrator over the EPA from uh, 83 to 85, and was named editor of the Deseret News uh, in uh, 2006. Joe Cannon, welcome to the Matt Townsend Show. Hey, Matt. Good morning. Good morning. How uh, are you, Where are you today? Where are you flying to? Are you going somewhere? <laughs> yeah, I'm just going down to Southern California. Ah, just look, get a little sun, aren't you, Joe? Well, for work, but it is sunny down there. Yeah, that's good. Hey, okay, we got a lot to talk about. Fill me in on. I'm, I'm just going to shoot a bunch of them at you right now. Uh, President Obama. It, it sounds like the uh, Iranians are getting a little uh, squeamish. Maybe pulling, not pulling out, but you know, they're the talks are deadlines are looming. Maybe they're getting a little skittish. What happens? After Obama has invested so much into this negotiation with Iran, what happens if they can't get a deal? Boy, I don't know. I mean, you know, uh, Iran has been pretty squishy all the way along. And I right. Guess most, the most recent development is they said that, uh, I guess at one point they were going to send their centrifuges or uranium to Russia. And now they're saying, oh, no, we're not going to do that. Huh. Uh, I guess the deadline is tomorrow. But... Uh, uh, former Senator Evan Bayh of Indiana actually said uh, over the weekend that, that and not very much to, much to not very much contradiction, that the real deadline is still uh, the end of June. Hmm. And I think that's a lot of uh, the congressional attention is is focused there also. Uh, you know, also though, I mean, the president's in, uh, uh, he's put a, he's put all the chips out of the table. He's clearly alienated Israel. He's alienated a good chunk of the American. Jewish community, a good chunk of the people in America support Israel. <clears throat> Excuse me. Um, and on the other hand, yeah, you have at least nine Democratic senators with all 54 Republican senators who want to do something on this legislatively. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, I don't know. I mean, if you ask me the question, all I did was to explain well, but, what the situation is. It's tough. Yeah. If, they, if they don't get a deal now, they'll, they'll figure out a way to have uh, uh, continued negotiations. I mean, I guess the downside is they don't, you know, they don't get Iran to back down on uh, nuclear capabilities and weapons, except when back at home, there's a lot of people that that are also supportive of, of this failing. So in a way, I mean, I guess it looks bad because he couldn't close the deal, but also a lot of people will be happy that he couldn't close the deal. Well, and one out that He's left himself. I don't really want to call it an out, but he said uh, no deal is better than a bad deal. Huh. Yeah. So uh, and I think, of course, a lot of people believe that. But, right. Uh, uh, but no deal is basically still 
doesn't get you away from the problem of of the continued development of the nuclear weapon capacity in Iran. Mm-hmm. Talk about uh, another Obama issue, actually, that maybe the Republicans have overplayed. Um, Congress is just not giving up on Obamacare. Eighty-five proposed amendments to the health care law, most of which are largely symbolic. But these uh, um, do do the Republicans need to just accept Obamacare as a law? I mean, go fix parts of it, I guess. But the idea of repealing it, are, are we not past that yet? Well, I don't I don't know if we're past it or not. I mean, it's still unpopular. The majority of Americans still don't like the law. Right. And, and, and a lot of the aspects of the law that people are not going to like haven't even kicked in yet. Yeah. So you're, you're going to be looking at this year a lot of pain when it comes to taxes and tax refunds and all of that. So, so I, I would say that it's dead. I would say, though, that there is a lot of symbolism going on. I mean, uh, I've got kind of a personal creed, not a creed, that's too much, but, you know, view, world view that says, do you want to win or do you want to feel good? <laughs> if you want to feel good, you can pound your chest and sound virtuous and do a lot of symbolic things. If you want to win, uh, it, it takes hard work, rolling up your sleeves and getting down and figuring out what's real and doing it. What I really think is in the background of all this, honestly, is Supreme Court decision, which is not likely to come till the middle to the end of June. But I think when the Supreme Court decision comes down on the exchanges, even though that's not necessarily, um, but if they if they decide against the government, against uh, the president, um, that's not fatal, but it's a very damaging wound. Hmm. And I think uh, the, uh, a lot of folks in Congress are saying, let's just wait. We'll see what happens there. Yeah. And and uh, if, if, it's, if it's in favor of the government, that's one set of things that the, the uh, Congress is going to do. If it's against the government, uh, against the administration, that's another set. But anyway, it's a, it's a, it would be a time for a relook. And I think that's what, frankly, that's why you got a lot of symbolic things going on. I'm sure behind the scenes, by the way, that there are there are thoughtful people on the finance committee and other places. Senator Hatch is chair yeah. of the finance committee uh, that they're looking at this very, very carefully. Do, do you uh, sense that the Republicans even have a response to it? I mean, what is the Republican option? So, if this did fall and and the exchanges were, uh, you know, rejected by the courts or whatever, um, what is the Republican offer? Well, I, I don't know, and I don't know that it's that's known yet. That's what I, I'm thinking that behind the scenes there is some, you know, going to be some look at this. If the exchanges fail, definitely something has to be done. Yeah. To to, to look at it. I mean, it, so it really it's, it's like a reopener all of a sudden. I doubt that they're going to wait for the Supreme Court to make that decision, but before they're thinking about it. On the other hand, there's no no point in coming forth with a big program plan right now. Uh, when like you say, yeah. and with all these, you know, symbolic things going on, I think I think kind of the more serious people are saying, okay, you know, we'll, we'll, we're getting ready, and then when when it's the right time, we'll we'll come forth with a package. Is when we keep saying symbolic, I mean, if there's 85 proposed amendments to the health care law, I guess that probably is 85 or triple that uh, congressmen and women that are basically trying to. You know, stake their put a stake in the ground that they're doing something on health care. Well, I, you could argue, and certainly lots of people who got elected will argue, do argue, 
that they got elected and that there's a Republican House and a Republican Senate in significant part because of Obamacare. Right. So, right. so you know, when they people get elected, they tend to want to let their constituents know, hey, look, we, we're going to do what you sent us back here to do. They're going to get it done. Okay. Uh, well, yeah. They're, I, I, they're not going to get it done with a bunch of symbolic amendments. No. It's got to be a very serious, thoughtful, structured approach. Yeah. Well, and it seems like more than just uh, against, we, I mean, it's one thing to just always be counter this bill, but, uh, I mean, Obamacare's law for the time being, and so maybe it's time that we, you know, I don't know, it just seems like it's, we got to deal with it instead of just waiting right. and fighting. Right. I don't know, what do I know? See, Joe, this is why I'm not a politician. <laughs> well... I, just for the record, I'm not a politician either, but I, I am a reader and observer. Yeah. Well, that's why we have you on the show. We're going to take a break, Joe. When we come back, I really want you to – we'll go through a bunch of other political issues. Harry Reid stepping down, Hillary Clinton, you know, getting beaten up a little bit more even. And, uh, and by the way, the dynasty idea being taken on by Martin O'Malley, Governor Martin O'Malley. Uh, we're we're gonna we're gonna talk about all these different issues up next. More with Joe Cannon and politics right here on the Matt Townsend Show. To the Matt Townsend Show. Trying to uh, talk leadership today uh, in this first hour. To do so, we always kind of do a quick review of of uh, Hollywood. <laughs> Seems like Hollywood. It's actually just Washington D.C. Lots of uh, interesting things going on there. On the line with us is our Washington insider Joe Cannon, who um, just well read a, but also has been in. He's been in the trenches as a you know chairman of a Republican Party uh, in Utah, also a, a U.S. Senate candidate, as well as a, a major uh, newspaper editor for with the Deseret News. So, uh, Joe, welcome back. Hey, thanks, Matt. I know you got to get. I was going to say that uh, uh, a, a common uh, ter- phrase in Washington is that uh, Washington D.C. is Hollywood for ugly people. <laughs> Just following yes. up on your Hollywood remarks. It's so true. It's so true. Hollywood for ugly people. I did, that's not true. They're beautiful. They're, yeah, they're plenty of good-looking people back Very, there, but... yeah, Plenty. Of, in fact, one of them's Harry Reid, and he's stepping down uh, as the Senate minority leader. Um, just give us your take on that. I mean, he's had a pretty good ride, you know? Well, Harry Reid's a very complicated guy, very polarizing guy. It's lots of people who, a lot of the headlines were good riddance, dirty Harry, and a lot of the headlines were, you know, a wonderful public servant. So he's been a very divisive guy back there, but uh, he's been very effective at what he does. Yeah. Uh, there's, a, there's a reason that uh, his caucus, uh, um, you know, kept him in there for as long. I, he, he may have been the longest-serving Majority leader, I don't know, but for sure his tenure is is very well up there. Uh, so the question now is, what happens in that vacuum? Like one one of the reasons Senator Reid was the uh, majority leader, now minority leader, is because his caucus is actually 
fairly divided uh, among a bunch of people, and he comes out to be a kind of a, a compromise candidate huh. um, between between some of the factions there. So it's going to be really interesting. The the the, the you know the bet is that it's just going to be Senator Schumer yeah. in New York. I mean, people just assume that, and it might be. But one of the fights over time has been between Senator Durbin and Senator Schumer, both of whom are in leadership. I did see over the weekend someone say, gee, wouldn't it be nice to put Patty Burry in, mm. uh, Senator from uh, from Washington. She's also in leadership. Those are the four big leaders, Reed, Schumer, Durbin, and Murray. Um, so it'll be it'll be interesting. I, I don't think it's, it's just going to be a slam dunk oh, yeah? uh, for Senator Schumer, although... I wouldn't bet against it. How well, and Reed isn't didn't Reed back him? Or didn't Reed say Schumer should be the pick? Uh, yeah, he's one vote. <laughs> That's right. That's true. That's true. I mean, now there's going to be a power struggle between lots of other folks. Well, that'll which Reed Reed is going to have less less to say now. But to be clear, as he said himself, I'm going to be here for 22 more months. So right, you know, it's a, it's not uh, something we have to think about. Too soon because I think he has zero desire to uh, to give up the the clout and position that he that he does have. Do you? Um, that, that's an interesting idea too. Just kind of the infighting. I know we saw a little bit of that with Boehner when people you know tried to I guess attempt a coup to to topple Boehner as the speaker. Is I mean I guess the back politics of some of that. That's probably where there's a lot of kind of nasty fighting. Yeah, and you never see that. That's all behind yeah. closed doors. Uh, although some of this is this 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 will be interesting. I mean, you'll you'll find a lot of leaks on this, but that's part of part of how things get done. Yeah. Hey, talk to us about Hillary Clinton. Um, one of the things I don't know if you heard this, but there was a group in support of Hillary Clinton that's trying to make thirteen adjectives that have been used to describe the former Secretary of State off limits to the media. They call the group the Clinton Super Volunteers. And they've promised to track media's use of words that they believe to be sexist words. So anytime anyone uses any of these words with Clinton, the super volunteers are going to track them down and, and cry sexism. Polar, the words are polarizing, calculating, disingenuous, insincere, ambitious, inevitable, entitled, overconfident, secretive, willing to do anything, out of touch, tone deaf. What do you think about that? I mean – I you're a media person. I mean, when you have people threatening to shut down the media, like censor what we can say about a candidate, that seems a little off. Well, uh, at first I thought this was an Onion article. I did too. So, so, so crazy. First of all, almost none of those words in my mind are sexist. But, right. You know, uh, I guess I'm a man, so maybe I wouldn't know that. But. Uh, Polarizing, calculating, disingenuous, overconfident, secretive, will do anything to win. That seems to describe many, many, many politicians. That's exactly right. That's right. So I, you know, it sounds like whatever this group is, it's pretty loony to go out there and say, you can't say a politician is calculating. Yeah. Really? What are they if they're not calculating? They are very often disingenuous and insincere, and they are always ambitious. Right, so, right. You know, I'm just using the words, you know, uh, and and, and I, I think it would be sort of stupid, ludicrous to say that Hillary is not inevitable. Now, it may turn out that she's not inevitable, but she herself is doing everything humanly possible 
to make her candidacy inevitable. That's right. As would anybody in her situation, male or female. So I, I, I don't know. It's, well, and scare. Uh, yeah, the shoe. I mean, she'd like to scare everyone away. It seems like though, if this is the election where we could have the first female president, um, advantage goes to the female, right? I mean, is this an advantage for Hillary? And would that would you just as a political? maybe coach, advisor, would you advise her? Is that what she should be talking about, is she wants to bring the first female to office? That's what she does talk about. She, she uh, uh, Women issues are, she, she's uh, very identified. If you recall the press conference on the, you know, on the whole email problem, she gave that at the United Nations. Right. Just literally after she had... Uh, Presented at a big conference on on uh, women and girls at uh, at the uh, at the UN. So no, she she's she's and she should. I mean, you know, just just legitimately, that is her issue. It's an issue she's had for a long time, and it's a very potent issue uh, for any candidate, actually. Right. Uh, but especially for uh, someone trying to win the Democrat nomination to become a uh, president on the Democrat ticket. It's a uh, I mean, it's it's just it's such an interesting state of politics. I mean, I guess in in the UK, they're political. They basically in what, 30 days or less, they run their entire election process. Well, yes, that's true. But over there, parties are enormously different. You can't just wake up in the morning and say, Oh, I want to run from the North London constituency. Right. Okay. The party chooses all the candidates, and then and so all the candidates are chosen by all the parties, by by Labour and Conservative, and so everyone knows who it is. There's not the long primary posting up process. We have a very robust open. Anybody can tomorrow, and I, I give you Martin O'Malley is exhibiting at the presidential level, but. It, at the at the city council level, at the state legislature level, at the congressional level, anyone in America can say, I want to run for an office. Mm-hmm. They can just go down and sign up and work their guts out and make it. That is not true in England. It's there you go. Very, the candidates are chosen, uh, and then there's an election. And then, by the way, there's no election for president over there, too. Yeah. Commonly, this is, so you elect a parliament. And then whichever party wins, they elect their the leader. leader of that. Well, the leader of that party is the prime minister. Yeah. So it's, it's known who the prime minister is going to be, depending on which party wins. But you're not strictly speaking voting for that person. Hmm. Now, see, that's I mean, and that's we that's it's we sometimes we want what we don't have. And then <laughs> in reality, when we learn about it, you know, we're they're all still making sausage. And it's all we have the most robust, open democracy, republic on the face of the earth. And it's messy. There are a lot of problems with it. But I know it's a famous statement, but Winston Churchill said, democracy is the worst form of government, except for all the others. (laughs) It's true. It's true. I mean, it costs us a billion dollars to elect a president, but it also allows a lot of speech and a lot of uh, other freedoms. Talk to us about uh, what is on your mind. We have about a minute and a half before you got to get ready to get on a plane. What... uh, what have you been thinking about? So I would just say an interesting bit of news. It's from Utah. I know this is a national program, but uh, lots of listeners are interested in, in Utah. And, this, and by the way, this affects their 
the, the nation. Um, just a, a week and a half or so ago, uh, Senator Mike Lee announced his um, co-chairs for his uh, re-election campaign, John Huntsman uh, Jr. and uh, Scott Anderson, the CEO of Zion huh. Bank. And uh, that was a, among political insiders in Utah. That was an earthquake, a massive earthquake. Because John John Huntsman's dad was came out against Lee and basically threatened to have someone run against him, didn't he? I think he hoped that was the case. Now, now in the case of John Huntsman Jr., yeah. he quickly came out, relatively quickly came out and sort of disavowed what his dad had to say. But the, <laughs> Don't the, listen the, to my dad. The fact that you have two very strong establishment individuals in within the state of Utah. Basically, they're saying, and, and, and Scott Anderson has had differences with Senator Lee over the last few years, too, significant differences. Huh. Uh, and so for him to come out, and he, he's, you know, very well known within the you bet. business circles and political circles, and he's a wonderful person, uh, just a terrific person. But for him to sign on with Senator Lee basically says to other establishment folks who wanted to challenge him, not this time. Not this time, pal. Well, and John Huntsman's a little, he's much more moderate than than Mike Lee. Is this Mike Lee communicating he's going to move to the center? Uh, there are many, many theories on that. I, I guess that would not be a theory I would buy. I, I would think that, I don't know about the case, you know, John Huntsman Jr. is a, is a good, long, personal friend with Senator Lee. So yeah. Senator Lee was his general counsel. So I okay, think, that's right. I think he just appreciates uh, his, and he said that, I appreciate his intellect. He's an enormously intelligent person and a policy person uh, to be reckoned with. I think in the case of uh, Scott Anderson, it's more of the establishment saying, well, you know what, he's going to be there, so let's figure out how to work with him. Interesting. Wow. See, but again, maybe this is kind of, you know, this is kind of the real uh, politicking that we need going on. Well, you know, uh, Senator Lee is a very thoughtful guy. I think he's got kind of a bad rap coming out of there, but he's been differentiating himself quite a bit from the other Tea Party senators. He's laid out a very thoughtful uh, policy program to deal with poverty, to deal with families, mm. uh, to deal with the middle class. Uh, he's thinking those are and should be Republican issues. Yeah. And he's given a number of policy speeches at various think tanks that have been very well received in Washington. He gets a lot more press sometimes, it seems like, uh, among the policy establishment of Washington than he does in, in Utah. Yeah. But again, I, I guess the, the fact that he's being, uh, that these two are his co-chairs of his campaign great. is a very significant statement. Oh, yeah. No, I think that's fantastic. See, Joe, this is why we just need to ask. I, I need to quit asking questions and let you just tell us what's on your mind because it always seems well, to go better. Joe, thanks. Joe, you're the best. Appreciate you. Go have fun in uh, Southern Cal. Go surfing a little bit. Go to Disneyland. That's Joe Cannon uh, from uh, Fuel Freedom Foundation. Uh, just just a great resource we have here, our Washington insider, and uh, just an all-around great guy. We're going to take a break. When we come back, continue this discussion. Other news headlines coming up on the Matt Townsend Show after the break.
Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. Boy, what a great quote by Joe Cannon. Washington, D.C. is the Hollywood for ugly people. (laughs) That's classic. I thought that was radio. Radio is the TV for ugly people. You thinking about that? Yeah, I'll have to to get back to you on that. Have you noticed that James isn't here today? Yeah. uh, Brandon Bishop's filling in. That registered as I walked in the door. James, uh, I think he's probably spent the entire weekend searching through wedding bridal magazines. I saw him filling out the the registries. Yeah, that's weird. You go through the website, you're just clicking on. Like, yeah. I look over and he clicks on like you know muffin pans. I'm like, what are you doing? Oh, it's your registry. Well, he is the muffin man. I go, don't you have like a woman for that? No, see his. Yeah, he got mad his, at that. His wonderful wife, McQuandai, she. She leaves a lot up to him, which is really great. Yeah. I was completely I didn't know uninvolved. We, I didn't know what we registered for. I was given a date. You need to show up at this time. Here's where you go for your tux fitting. Yeah. Don't gain weight. Yeah, it was great. Don't lose weight. It was awesome. Let me know when you're getting your haircut. Yeah. And then when I got there, I started looking around. I go, we paid for this? Why yeah. didn't we just, uh, just we can go to Vegas? We got ripped off. We do it in the car. You don't have to get out of the car and you get married. So. <laughs> thought there was a simpler Aren't way. Aren't you glad you're married, though? Just, it's done. It's simple. You don't have to worry about anything. Yeah. I, I, we felt rich just for, for about two years because we kept living off of, because we take stuff back to the store. Oh, yeah. Get our cash back. We lived off that money forever. That's good living. <laughs> we were loaded. My wife was a school teacher. She made about 1200 a month. Loaded. Then life kicks in and not so much. Nope. So um, have you ever sent an email to the wrong person? Never. Never? You never go into that autofill? Yeah, every single time I feel like I do that. You have to double, triple check and Mm -hmm. the two and then the BCC and all that. You know, you could possibly type in a letter and send it off to someone who, yeah. So an, an email misfire, as it's being called, compromises the security of world leaders Sending out their passport numbers at the last group of 20 summit. Really? So you're, so, talking, you're talking presidents, prime ministers of the top 20 economies in the world. An email went, a missent email with inf- information on their passport numbers? Yes. Birth dates. Of the G20 or whatever. Of the G20. That's crazy. The Guardian reports an employee of Australia's immigration department allegedly sent sensitive personal info for President Obama and several other world leaders to the wrong people on a mistake. The official didn't double check the two field in Microsoft Outlook, which had autofilled the wrong recipient and sent the private data to the organizers of the Asian Cup football tournament. Uh, Just compromising the security of world leaders. Holy cow. So, you know, whoops. Somebody's going to get audited by 20 IRSs. At least they didn't send it to ISIS.com or anything like that. Yeah. I bet ISIS already has it. Is it a .org address? It's a, it's a dot .terror. Dot .terror. Could be an EDU, depending. They do have schools. <laughs> dot .jihad. <laughs> dot .jihad. You know what? I'm going to bet. Uh, I'm going to bet they already have it. They might. I don't know what they could do with it. but no. um, You steal how- Angela Merkel's identity. <laughs> Angela, did you... Did you buy a new Nintendo? We? 
Is it a Wii? It wouldn't be one. It'd be like 40 Playstations. <laughs> Did you buy 40 Something Playstations ridiculous. at a Costco is in that Des Moines? training? Or That's right. You could, you could link them all together. Downtime when you're not terrorizing Make some supercomputers and do some crazy stuff. House Speaker John Boehner says his trip to Israel this week is not a victory lap to celebrate P- Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu's re-election. What's it for? He says it was planned months ago. Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell was there over the weekend. Everyone's going. Everyone's taking their not victory lap in Israel this week. Well, it's because you wanted to be that. Didn't they just have the Passover? Well, there, this the is feast all, of the Passover. There's also a break uh-huh. in uh, in DC because yeah, of the, the holiday. It. They're over there celebrating no. the feast of the Passover. Is it spring break in Israel as well? Uh, it's spring break. Oh, have you seen the spring break Israel videos? <laughs> I don't know if I want to. They're out of control. We'll just go on, move on from there. But yeah, so there, it's not a victory lap, even though all leadership seems to be making yeah. a trip yeah. in a lap formation. But it's not, it's not lap, it's not lapable. It, it, they said they, 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 the speaker said that it, it's important for leaders of our country to meet with leaders of other countries and to form these yeah. bonds. Yeah, and he's not going to the Dominican Republic though. He's going no, to Israel. He's going to Israel. <laughs> It was pretty funny. It's a BB break. He's taking a break with BB. Over the weekend, uh, some more selfie stick yeah. news has oh, come what? out. What? We uh, last few weeks, museums in New York and DC have banned selfie sticks. Well, yeah, you don't want a stick. So, amusement parks, sports venues yeah. are thinking about it because you have a three foot stick. They're swinging it around. You could just yeah. whack people in the head. And a lot of stuff can go wrong. It's called a narcissist stick by some people. Yeah, because you're. Well, and you could get that picture right before you take someone's hand off on the roller coaster. That too. I saw someone at Disneyland on the Dumbo ride. You did? They had it just hanging out the side of Dumbo and getting family portraits as they're zipping around in Dumbo. That's crazy. Yeah. That's kind of crazy. Over the weekend, music festivals uh, Coachella and Lollapalooza have mm. banned the selfie sticks. Good. The uh, New York Post published photos on their front page of seven women posing for a selfie in front of a, the seven-alarm apartment explosion that brought down three buildings, injured 22, and left two dead. What? There's one, I believe, that person is still missing. But you see these seven women with a selfie stick, and they're posing with this blazing oh, inferno behind so them. Oh, that is so disrespectful. And it was in the, the East Village, and so the title was Village Idiots. That was totally. the, on the cover of the, the magazine this weekend. So um, there's also... Live streaming apps that have come out this week. One's been Good. out for a few weeks named Meerkat. Yeah, yeah. And one's called Periscope. Okay. Periscope's from Twitter. Yeah. I've been playing with Periscope. Maybe we got a live. We tweet. could. We just set up our phone right here and we could just we're gonna live it. stream sometime, the show. Sometime we're going to do that. As soon as, yeah, as soon as I get that surgery. So people were live streaming this inferno oh, and they're like, you know, mugging for the camera, peace signs, smiling, you know, because the camera's hey, Mom. on. Um, do we as a society know where the line is? No. When it's appropriate to live stream, take pictures, post it, Instagram selfies or not? It, it does. It seems like we don't have a At tragedies. An we idea. shouldn't be doing that. But that's what people are doing now. Is at funerals we ought not be doing that. Selfie stick at a casket. Look. But, yeah, that's a big thing. Is posing with the the dead person. <laughs> hey, and post that on your website. Oh man. So it just it seems like we don't have a line. We don't know where. We need a council. We need a council with a G20 to create selfie rules, international selfie rules. Have just, some sort of coalition? Don't you think? Just I mean, I'm just throwing that out there. The International Criminal Court could look into that. Yeah. 
I, I think I'm going so to work on that. I actually am doing a speech in in April on social media. So as part of that, I will um, I will make some rules. What is appropriate? What is not? They will then become the the rules for all selfiedom. And an Arizona state senator, Sylvia Allen, said in the middle of a debate over the expansion of gun rights that Arizona should pass a law that people should have to go to church to get a gun license. Oh, well, that makes sense. She uh, she says that the debate, debating a bill requiring every American to attend church of their choice on Sunday to see if we can get back to having a moral rebirth in this country. But would she be okay with everyone attending an Islamic church? She didn't say which church. Yeah, see, yeah. She, she said, said whatever church. She later said it was a flippant comment, but decreed okay. the changes, uh, decried the changes since she was a child in the 50s. You know, Sunday all businesses were closed. Yeah. People went to church. Uh, there yeah. was family values. I, I get that. I get that. So she's kind of under fire because but you know of, you can't be flippant when you're a politician because people are going to come back and get you. All right, we're going to take a break. This is the Matt Townsend Show. When we come back next hour, great, uh, great new insight into culture and how did you know different cultures, different perspectives. We're going to get into some details on that up next on the Matt Townsend Show. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to the Matt Townsend Show. I am your host, Dr. Matt Townsend, your life coach, your guide on the side. Welcome to the program. This is the show where we give you the the insight, the tools to live a little bit longer and love a little stronger and lead the ones you're with. Who else could you lead if you're not leading the people around you? Come on. That's the goal of the show. And uh, we do it every morning, three hours a day. 9 to noon Eastern Time, right here on Sirius XM 143 BYU Radio. We, uh, last hour, talked politics, the whole hour. Mmm, I am done with politics. Any headlines for us, Terry, that are non-political? Non-political? White yes. House and superbugs? It's not really political. What, what? What's the White House going to do about See, superbugs? Now, we talked last week, we had a guest on about yeah. superbugs. These these antibiotic resistant yeah. uh, bacteria, I guess, that could They're, really cause problems. Yep. Usually existing in hospitals, they don't really exist in the outer environment. Trying to find the story they, here. That, that's what's funny about go. these superbugs, and it's scary because I have a son right now with a cold. But in my head, I'm like, I wonder if he's got a superbug. No, he's fine. Yeah, I'm like, did he go to the hospital? No, then he's fine. <laughs> if, you, if you go to get help, you might be in pro- So it says the White House received, uh, released a five-year, $1.2 billion plan on Friday to fight drug-resistant superbugs that includes better tracking of infections. Faster tests, new drugs, hospitals will be pushed to do a better job of controlling infections such as CRE, which yeah, is what hit the UCLA the Medical ones. Center, yeah. uh, MRSA, which yeah. is a big problem, and C. diff. C. That's diff, that's the, those are the top three, the three killers. They kill... 23,000 Americans every year and cost the economy billions of dollars. So what are they going to do different? They're going to do a better job of controlling infections, tracking, uh, faster tests, new drugs. So just putting more effort into the study and stoppage, which isn't a word. But Well, you'd think that they would be doing that already. 
So they're now they're we're redoubling they're re- our efforts, doubling, tripling, <laughs> yeah, efforts. The loss of antibiotics that kill or inhibit the growth of bacteria means that we can no longer take for granted quick and reliable treatment of rare or common bacterial infections, including bacterial pneumonias, foodborne illnesses, healthcare associated infections. The White House says in their report. Hmm. Uh, By the way, one of the great learnings we had uh, last week when we talked about superbugs, it's it's not the antibiotics you're taking today. It's the history of many, 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 many decades of a lot of people misusing antibiotics that have then created these strains. Yes. So it's a big deal because somebody's like, well, I'm not going to do antibiotics anymore, which is smart, which would stop future issues. But we still have to deal with the past issues of misuse of antibiotics. A new study to be published in next month's issue of the Journal of Environmental Health Perspectives. Yes. Found that DNA from antibiotic-resistant bacteria in Texan cattle have become airborne. Ah, great. So the Texas cattle are creating superbugs that are now airborne. The DNA could then spread to humans and make the treatment of infections more difficult. The study authors who are environmental tech toxicology researchers at Mm. Texas Tech believe the bacteria may be capable of staying airborne for long periods of time and traveling significant distances. Oh, great. So when we get get the the winds from Texas, (laughs) beware the winds from Texas. Yeah. That's interesting. Watch out for the cow. So that's like a mad cowish superbug, minus the madness. Right. It's just... Cow superbug. It's just cow superbug. With seriously lung Because we've pumped so much antibiotics into the cows, yeah. they're now kicking out superbugs. It helps fatten those cows up. Right. And keeps them clean. And uh, But now they emit superbugs. Do you enjoy TSA screenings when you go to the airport? You know what? Love them. You love every one uh-huh. of them? Wonderful get, experience? Well, you, how often do you really get touched? Right. So as a toucher... I love a good TSA screening. Okay. <laughs> I'm a toucher by nature. That's one. That's my love language. The website, The Intercept. Yes. The Intercept was created by the guy that Edward Snowden worked with to put out his initial leaks. Ooh. A guy named Greenwall, I think his name uh, is. Yeah. Put out his initial leaks. That guy then left The Guardian he was working for, went to, and created his website, The Intercept. The Intercept. So he's in the know. Theoretically. With Snowden. Well... Yeah. Ish. He helped him. Yeah. He talked to him in the hotel room in Hong Kong, and then they run off to yeah. Russia and all that. So the website, The Intercept, obtained a list of indicators of what the TSA is looking for to determine if you may be a terrorist and warrant further screening. Okay. let's. Okay. So listen up, because if you want to not be categorized as a terrorist, this is good to know. Known as the screening of passengers by observation techniques okay. or SPOT. Mm, the an acronym. T- the TSA is looking for exaggerated yawning. <laughs> Excessive complaints about the screening process. I've got. Hold on, I've got to write this down. Exaggerated yawning. Yes. Like, whoa, like a really big yawn. Big yawns. Larry, you're not even. That's not. You look fake. <laughs> Excessive complaints about the screening process. Yeah. Excessive throat clearing. <laughs> Widely open staring eyes. <laughs> Okay. Wearing improper attire for location. It's yeah. Miami, you're in a winter coat, that yeah. kind of thing. Uh-huh. Uh, whistling before or during the screening process. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Gazing down, 
exaggerated of repetitive grooming gestures, so if you run your hand through your hair quite a bit, uh, <laughs> face pale from recent shaving of beard, because <laughs> yeah. you changed your, yeah. your look, so yeah. you're out, obviously got, like, have something to hide. hair all over your shirt from your beard shaving. <laughs> Rubbing or wringing of hands, so you're nervous. Wow. Suspicious behavior is rated on a point system. Mm-hmm. Some are, you know, low is one, high is five. It says the program cost more than $900 million since it began in 2007, according to the General Accounting By Office. By the way, this is so valuable, this information. And every, incredibly vague. Well, but every father could use this when a guy brings his daughter home from a date. Oh, right. Did anything happen? Uh, you seem to be rubbing his hair. You shaved your beard. He yawns. What happened to your beard? You left with a beard. He shaves, yeah. <laughs> what do you guys do? Why are you wringing your what hands kind of out, Jimmy? So, yeah. Jimmy, your eyes seem really widely open. I found this quite funny to read and to try to figure out the whistling during the screening process. I mean, <laughs> but tell me you haven't tried every one of these oh, yeah. while while lying. Well, you're something. just you're standing there waiting for your shot to go through the machine. Yeah. So you're just sort of staring blankly ahead. Oop. I'm usually he's flagged, or if you stare down, you're flagged. <laughs> you know, I'm usually drinking my beverage. Because you got to get it down before you get up there, and taking my belt off and my shoes off, I'm pretty and now, much just. And now roving. they'll tell you not to do that. Well, I know they do, but I just do it. For but of comfort. course, you've taken your shoes off before they go. Don't do that. Oh, because don't do that. Put all your you shoes hear, on, sir. yeah, I don't know. It's really interesting. Also, the uh, TSA has agreed to begin anti-discrimination training for agents after two black women file complaints about their hair being singled out for searches. Hmm. The uh, the two women said their hair was arbitrarily searched numerous times at airports. One agent told them they were instructed to search the hair with extensions or abnormalities. Yeah. Uh, the women and the TSA reached an agreement in January. The TSA will begin training on race neutrality. There you go. I mean, <laughs> uh, they have a tough job. They totally do. They need to look at a mass of people walking through a, a isolated place and pick out shifty-looking people without using any sort of triggers that would be racial profiling, yeah. that would be discriminatory, yeah. but at the same time— And you got 30 people behind you. Yeah, and, and keep it moving, yeah. but at the same time, try to pick out any sort of people that are acting obvious. Mm-hmm. I, would, I don't know. I think you can't beat the stare test. I'd have them come right up and look you right in the eyes. And if they look away— then you I can go, see in your soul. Okay, you, you're going to have to be searched. It seems like with the hair, uh, if you just took them through the typical scanner, you'd be able to scan yeah. for any threats in the hair. Yeah, because with the variety of hairstyles nowadays, I mean, who's to say what's an abnormality? Or not? Is the man bun going to be right. tested at the TSA? Well, the man bun is inherently a violation. I think it should be. Yeah, that should be. A, a crime in and of itself. I don't I mean, think. I think I a, one man bun is okay, but if you have two, like Princess Leia, <laughs> is that a thing? And you're a man, you probably ought not Princess get on Leia that man buns. I'm just telling you, Prince Leia, Prince, <laughs> please, Prince Lee, be respectful. Are you there, Prince? Oh man, that's a great list. I am going to use that every time we uh, have my son go on dates. Son, you seem like you're clearing your throat a lot. What's, uh, what's with the whistling there, pal? Interesting. Great advice. Great advice from the TSA. Parenting tips from the TSA. Brought to you by the Matt Townsend Show. We're going to take a break, my friends. When we come back, would you believe in all of your travels, do you sense that there is a difference in perspective 
does the geography where you live and where you were raised, not just in the U.S., but across cultures, is Asia, do they bring a different thought process to life than the Westerners? Do the Asians bring a different thought process than the Westerners? We have a a researcher that says they do, and he's going to give us some insight into culture and how it might be impacting a lot of our decision-making and a lot of our misunderstandings. This is the Matt Townsend Show. We'll be right back with Dr. Richard Nisbet right here on Sirius XM 143 BYU Radio. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. You know, uh, it's it's really interesting to me, just somebody that gets to cover a lot of different topics. Have you noticed with the this the airplane coverage as we're talking about the airplane crash in the French Alps? Um, how just how the information comes out about that? Uh, you know, Western countries are handling the airplane crash and the information so much differently, it seems like, than they did maybe with Malaysia Air or some of the other airplane crashes that have happened over in Asia. Now, that's maybe a far reach, you might think, except our next guest, Dr. Richard Nisbet, is joining us, and he is a professor of psychology at the University of Michigan. He's also been studying the difference that cultures have on how we think. And there is uh, some great uh, and and I think interesting research going on between different cultures and and the impact it has on how we see the world. We've asked Dr. Nisbet to join us here so we could start to uh, better understand how culture impacts our thinking. Dr. Richard Nisbet, welcome to the Matt Townsend Show. Thank you. It really is a, an interesting subject to me. Talk, just teach us you know, is there a difference? I mean, you don't want to just stereotype, oh, yeah, that's Asian, that's Western culture. But is there really a difference? Oh, yeah. Um, I should say I started uh, my work many, many years ago uh, being a convinced universalist. I mean, thinking that everybody's pretty much the same. And that's kind of an American stance. Yeah. Uh, and uh, I uh, was lucky to get a student from China, a very brilliant guy. I'm a social psychologist, but I also am a cognitive psychologist. I study how people think. Uh, And he pointed out to me, uh, the first person I had uh, heard this from, that there are profound social differences between uh, Chinese and Americans. And that's ended up turning out to be East Asians in general uh, and Westerners uh, in general. and Westerners are relatively independent, and we have been since yeah. time immemorial. That is, the Greeks. I mean, they were the first people to think of themselves as individuals, as distinct from other people, as having their own attributes that were uh, continuous across situations. And in Asia, East Asia, it's always been different. Um, uh, I'm a part of the team 
the people who are closest to me are people I have to to uh, to cooperate with. Uh, so they're highly interdependent. People. Huh. That's an interesting concept. And I mean, I know um, uh, the book uh, Outliers d- talks a little bit about that culture. I mean, so does the book Quiet. I don't know, two two kind of national bestsellers that have recently made the news about it that, you know, we, we live in a culture that might be more prone to extroversion, where Asians might be more prone to to also be, you know, not so out there pushing their independent agenda. Right. Uh, that's very true. Um, America being out there is a very good phrase. Um, <laughs> that we're, you know, we take up a lot of space in a room. I mean, yeah. you, know, well, you know, I'm so darned important and interesting, you know, why shouldn't I uh, show my wares? Uh, they play their cards much closer to the vest. Uh, they're more subdued. Uh, and by the way, we're starting to do some research. This is sort of as a side point on another inter- highly interdependent culture, which is utterly different from East Asians. And this won't be surprising. Uh, Latin Americans, although they're similar to East Asians socially in many ways, hmm. in terms of emotional expression, are way further out than Americans are. Uh, oh, uh, really? Yeah. Oh, yeah. They're much more. Well, in many ways, you you're supposed to show your emotions. Uh, yeah. In Latin yeah, yeah. America, and if you don't, you know, you're kind of a kind of stuck up. And not, but but we're talking about East Asians and and Westerners, which where I'm, which I'm much more familiar with. Well, so. and it, to me, this is. Um, I mean, I guess some people are like, oh, come on, don't stereotype. Everyone's different. But you're saying, as an overall culture, there is kind of an inherent trend. Um, of of thought that in East Asia it's more team focused, it's more cooperative, and and I, where you're really more of a a team, you're not you're not here to make yourself stand out. You're here to to reach an objective together. Is that the concept? Absolutely. And let's. Uh, there's a, an expression uh, in East Asia which seems very odd uh, to us Westerners, and that is. Uh, the nail that stands out will be pounded down. Mm. <laughs> and whereas, you know, if you've, if you've got it, flaunt it uh, in the West. Yeah. Uh, and another expression is uh, the empty wagon makes the most noise. So, you know, you're, you know, you're out there, you're talking about yourself, you're being loud, you're being... <clears throat> uh, that, that's to them offensive, and it's an indicator that uh, you're not somebody who has to be paid attention Hmm. to. Those are great quotes. The empty wagon makes the most sound. Um, So how does this this play out then and translate into day-to-day living in these cultures? And and, I I guess, too, as we have a global world and marketplace now, how do do we end up impacting each other? Well, the most obvious... uh, kind of arena where this sort of thing makes a big difference is, um, let me back up just a second and say, although East Asians are more interdependent, they're only more interdependent with re- with respect to the people they deal with all the time. And the in-group is much tighter. The borderlines between the in-group and the out-group uh, are much more firmly fixed. I mean, there's my folks, my kind, and then there's everybody else. <clears throat> in the West, the, the boundaries are much more porous. I mean, you can come into my in-group, you can go out of my in-group. I mean, mm. uh, 
Westerners, I mean, it's not that unusual for Westerners to say, hey, my brother and I don't get along. We haven't spoken for a decade. That, that's unthinkable to an East Asian. I mean, you're so bound up with your in-group people. You're, the obligations are so clear. But <clears throat> one implication of this looseness of the boundaries, I mean, Americans, you know, you meet somebody, hi, how are you? We open ourselves up uh, to, to outsiders. Uh, we're frank. Uh, we trust outsiders much mm-hmm. more. Uh, in Hong Kong, if there's no male heir to a, to a family that owns a corporation, they may adopt someone into the family. Huh. So it's now someone we can trust because he's one of us. Uh, and that, that's, of course, just very strange uh, yeah. to Westerners. But when we go into uh, it, 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 business relations with them, I mean, Americans walk in the room, hi, you know, I'm Dick Nesbitt, uh, how are you? Good to meet you. Listen, about this uh, business deal we're thinking about, here's what my thoughts are. <clears throat> That's just so alien yeah. uh, to Easterners. I mean, you've got to do sniff time. I mean, <laughs> I've got to <clears throat> know who you are. I've got to feel like I have some idea of where you're coming from. Uh, I've, got to, I've got to have some trust. I've got to feel like I know you before I can... And, and incidentally, that's, that's, uh, that's an op- that produces opportunity costs for them. Yeah. Uh, I mean, we trust people, and, you know, we're off to do business, and most of the time, that's the right stance for us to take with other Westerners. Every now and then, we're going to get burned. Somebody's going to try and jip us. But being open to others and trusting others is, is a generally, in general, a, an advantage. And in, and in East Asia, they trust each other. And keep it in the group. Right. Well, they trust each other in the group. In the group. They don't, they yeah. don't trust other, you know, the Chinese don't trust out, outside China, China, outsiders if they're Chinese, hmm. much more than they do if they're Westerners. Um, now, this isn't to say that, you know, I mean, some of my best friends, <laughs> quite literally, are East Asians. I mean, ever since I started doing this research. So it, it isn't as if that barrier is always there. I mean... I'm really crazy about some of my students, and I know my East Asian students, and I know they feel the same way about me. So it it isn't as if those barriers can't be overcome, but you just can't assume from the outset. Right. Yeah. Well, and it's also a – I mean, it's such a universal – I mean, the culture runs deep genetically, too, and and so just the genetic – predispositions probably impact us as well. We are talking with Dr. Richard Nisbet. Uh, He's a professor of psychology at the University of Michigan. He's teaching us about culture and the impact culture has on us. Uh, Right now he's describing the difference between Westerners and Asians in, you know, kind of in their cultural outlook on life and how it might impact their thinking. Uh, Excellent stuff. Interesting to know that, especially when you think about all of the different cultures we're trying to influence in this world As Westerners, they may not all be thinking the way we are. We'll take a break. This is the Matt Townsend Show. We'll be right back right here on Sirius XM 143 BYU Radio. To the Matt Townsend Show. Today we are talking about the geography of thought, why we think the way we do, 
That is uh, basically the, uh, the title of a book, The Geography of Thought, is a book written by Dr. Richard Nisbet, who's on the line with us right now. And he's teaching us about the, the differences in cultures, a, uh, Eastern Asian and Western, and how that sets up a certain way of seeing the world, a certain way of approaching things. Uh, Dr. Richard E. Nisbet is a professor of psychology at the University of Michigan. He also taught psychology at Yale University and the University of Michigan. He is the Theodore M. Newcomb Distinguished University Professor at the University of Michigan as well, and the author of many books. Uh, Dr. Nisbet, welcome back to the show. Oh, thank you. You know, I don't know if you've ever heard of Preston Knee. Uh, he's, a, he's a communications teacher out of, uh, like... Um, Silicon Valley, but all he says he gets a lot of these brilliant Eastern Asians. I don't know if they're Eastern Asians, but uh, people from the Asian communities, and they they come to America and they need to integrate into our American culture and in business, and they really struggle, kind of balancing this independent versus interdependent paradigm that they have. So right. one of the things he ends up spending a lot of time doing is he coaches them on how to communicate more like an American. <laughs> Right. Which is it's is it's interesting though, the the paradigm is there which makes communication even difficult. Right. It's uh teachers uh, uh in the US find it difficult um to have Asians in their classes because uh Americans are such chatterboxes, I mean. <laughs> yeah. Uh you can always uh, you know you toss out a question and you know and, and watch them you know people go after it and 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 interact with you. East Asians have come from an educational system where they sit there quietly and politely, thank you, and listen to what the professor has to say or what the teacher has to say. Uh, they are absolutely at sea when you demand that they interact in real time with you. That's just. Uh, yeah. I, actually, I, <laughs> wonderful anecdote. I had a student from Korea, another brilliant guy. Uh, and after he had been working with me for a while, uh, and we got to know each other, he said, "You know, um, <laughs> when uh, it was very important to me when I first came to the U.S. and started working with you to find out whether you were over fifty years old or not, because if you were." under 50 years old, I, if it was necessary, I could disagree with you. But if you were over 50 years old, it was out of the question. <laughs> <laughs> no, really, but where, where did that number come from? I have no idea. And I'm, <laughs> it may be a different, but it's, it's typical of the, of, the, of the sort of rules. I mean, they're, they're a hierarchical society. I mean, decisions get pushed up to the top, and there's a, a great respect for age. Which, as I get older, I'm beginning to appreciate more. <laughs> right. No, right. Yeah, but, now you're benefiting from it, aren't right, you, Richard? Right. So um, it's, uh, it's a tighter society. It's a, they play their cards closer to the vest. They don't expect to have to take the stage. Uh, and 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 they have to they have to learn that they're going to be effective in our culture. They've got to learn t- differently. They've got to learn to uh, to put themselves out there uh, to uh, um, to grapple with issues and with people if need be. By the way, in terms of in this in this sense, uh, I I was very struck a couple three years ago when I was doing a 
a consulting day with Procter and Gamble, uh, and they had a, a team of, of of young executives uh, in China uh, who were working on product development, and they were asking me my advice about it. <clears throat> and good grief, the, these these kids, I would say these young executives, I mean, they wouldn't let me get away with anything. I mean, you know, I'd make an assertion about something, and boy, they were all jumping on me, and it was it was as lively as any uh, college student or graduate student seminar I've ever been in. So huh. that culture, I don't think the Japanese are going to change much for a long time, if ever. Uh, but the Chinese, I think that they're they're really drifting western at a pretty rapid rate. Is because uh, this is interesting. Just with topically, what's going on with uh, the airline crash in Europe? Um, the, the air that when the was it a, a Chinese airline, China airline that crashed in San Francisco, and then some of the Malaysian crashes. Um, even the mere handling of those issues. One of the topics that came up a lot were these junior pilots that didn't feel like they could correct a senior pilot. All right. And it, it, does that get into the same cultural idea that you're talking about? Yeah, absolutely. This gets into hierarchy. <clears throat> um, for uh, at least up until recently, and I, I imagine it's still at least somewhat true in Korea, you know, every now and then a plane comes in, coming in for a, for a landing, and then they can't do it, maybe because there's a, a plane mistakenly on the runway or something, and they've got to pull back up. I don't know if you've ever been in a plane when that happens. Yeah. It's a little <laughs> disconcerting. Uh, a Korean pilot uh, couldn't do that uh, on his own. He'd have to radio back to headquarters, because it's very expensive to do that. Right, right. A couple, three, four thousand dollars every time you make a pass over an airport with a big plane. And you have to get radio to headquarters because it's okay, you know, I'm, there's a plane on the, <laughs> on the runway. Can I go ahead and, uh, and, and overfly? Uh, and that, to us, that's just inconceivable. Yeah. I mean, uh, is, is that the culture of honor? I mean, that you talk about, I know you wrote a book on that as well, uh, but some of this is honor. And even you brought up a little bit of the Latin American culture, but there's, there kind of tends to be a machismo maybe, just a... Is that is that cultural as well? Where and, and this need to save face? Well, it, it's uh, it's the need to save face. I mean, face and honor are very different kinds of things. Yeah. I mean, to me, at any rate, I mean, when I that's culture of honor is a different kind of thing. But it, it's it's uh, it, it's it mostly has to do with the notion of, of hierarchy. I mean, I, in order to be effective in East Asia, um, I have to. Um, I have to pay attention to what other people are doing. I have to pay attention laterally uh, hmm. to my comrades. I mean, I've got to, I, I, I'm not, I'm not going to step out of line with them. I'm going to try and move with, the, with them. My effectiveness depends on how well integrated I am uh, with my in-group and how sensitive I am to other people's needs. So I have to look out outside laterally outside of myself. And I also have to look up because they're more hierarchical. Hmm. Um, and uh, so these are the, these are some of the main. Uh, but I guess in the Western paradigm, though, we, we basically look out for ourselves and vertically, um, less laterally. Well, I think we look 
vertically yeah, much more. less. I mean, it's it's our behavior is. I mean, we're in, we're independent. Yeah. I mean, we we're we're our own agent, uh, and that's been true again twenty five hundred years in the West. Yeah. No, no I assume. Um, and so, just he, help us with this. How do we use this knowledge? When it comes in – in this case, it's specifically you're talking about Westerners and East Asians. Um, but I assume there's also similar or types of cultural differences that are distinct like this between Middle Eastern, um, I don't know, and, and other cult- – and the U.S. And we're trying to negotiate in the Middle East, yet culturally we may not understand what they're doing. We may come at it independently. Um, help us understand how we can use this knowledge in our real day-to-day lives. Well, it all depends on whether we're dealing with people in other cultures. I mean, if we, and I, I should say, since I started this research, um, it's become clearer and clearer that um, it's basically people of Northwestern European culture hmm. who are the outliers from the rest of the world. Um, and even Eastern Europeans are closer to East Asians uh, in their. And the, and the kinds of dimensions I'm talking about now, about um, needing to pay attention to other people in your in-group and needing to, to pay attention to authorities. Um, and even in Southern Europe, also Southern Europeans are uh, in many ways uh, closer to this Eastern model. Latin Americans closer, uh, huh. Arabs. I mean, it really it's, is. It's just the Northwestern European culture. Right. We're the anomaly. That's right. And is it – how is it received by the rest of these cults? Is it just hubris? Is it just seen as just pride? What is it? What do they see in us? Uh, you know, I'm not – it's interesting. I'm not so sure about that. I, have, I haven't thought about that a lot. I mean, in some ways, um, they're kind of envious. I, I, Easterners coming to the U.S., an awful lot of them – find it very attractive. I mean, they, they'll stay here. I mean, they see there are such advantages to being independent. I mean, it's yeah. really very freeing. Uh, you don't find Americans uh, hanging out in Eastern Europe or uh, Korea uh, right. and deciding, hey, this is really for me. <laughs> yeah, right. So, um uh, and the, but certainly for many East Asians, I mean, they they can't fit in. I mean, it's just that it's they they it's unthinkable for them to come here. They haven't. They're not that extroverted. They're not that uh, capable of mooring themselves from their ties to others. Uh, but of course, there are there are these individual differences within cultures, and 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 the ones who are sort of some of them are much more primed for becoming. Uh, for being able to fit in in Western settings. Well, what do you attribute this uh, this anomaly that is kind of the Americanized, well, the Northwestern European culture? What, is, what do you attribute that to? Where did the anomaly come from? Uh, well, uh, there's uh, there are two factors that uh, I think are important. I mean, I push this back to the economies of these countries, and uh, that's dependent in turn on the, uh, on the ecologies. Um, Greece um, was uh, physically, it's mountains descending to the sea. They didn't have large-scale agriculture. It just didn't exist. It never, it never did. I mean, it was 
the occupations there were much more solitary than is required in large-scale agriculture. Mm -hmm. Um, They were things like fishing and trading and and kitchen gardens and uh, olive plantations, uh, things where you really can be your own person. That was not true once agriculture came to the east. It's especially not true in rice agriculture, which requires tremendous cooperation and dependence on, on other people in order to be effective. And as a matter of fact, we've begun finding that there's a difference within China along these dimensions. I mean, uh, northern Chinese um, have their agriculture is more wheat-based, and it's not so dependent on cooperation. And uh, Chinese, southern Chinese are much more Chinese yeah. <laughs> than northern Chinese. So, so that's I, I really explain the, the the origins of it in in. Uh, in economic terms. Yeah. Well, I mean, and just that, I guess, I mean, in the United States, we might have a harvest that we push really hard for a season and then we're done. But in the rice harvest, uh, don't they just kind of keep going and they just yeah, keep I think, going? I think, you know, I, I'm, I'm stepping way outside of my expertise yeah. to respond to that question. But I do think it's more of a, of a year-round thing. Yeah. Uh, and it's not, uh, and it's, constant, you know, dealing with other people right? Uh, to make sure this ir- the irrigation stuff is working, I mean, and so on. No, I think it's, I mean, and it's a complicated issue, and you don't want to just throw out ideas, but uh, I appreciate your insight again, Dr. Richard Nisbet, and the, the book sounds like uh, just something that we, we all, I mean, if anything, if it just opens up our minds a little bit more to be more conscientious that they're coming from, just because the geography might be impacting the thinking to me, that's, I think that makes a better world. Appreciate you joining us again. And uh, Dr. Richard Nisbet, the great book. Go check it out. He's also got other books, though, on the, the geography of thought as well as intelligence and how to get it. And it was also a co-author on the culture of honor. Interesting insights, folks. We're trying to give you the tools to lead better and to lead a better life. One of the best ways to do that might be humility. And uh, instead of just saying everything you can, maybe we ought to sit back a little bit and say what needs to be said. Not everything you know needs to be said all of the time. Anyway, interesting. Northwestern European culture. We are the anomaly, folks. We'll take a break. This is the Matt Townsend Show. You're listening to us right here on Sirius XM 143 BYU Radio. To the Matt Townsend Show. Just uh, had a great interview with Dr. Richard Nisbet about our thinking, Western and Asian. And again, it, you'd sit there and you'd think, well, we, we, you know, people are different everywhere. Um, remember, these researchers, they're not making this up, right? They spend their entire life, their entire uh, reputation on getting this information right and one of the things they're finding out is culturally there are some very basic differences. And um, also some other books recently have, have kind of glommed onto that. One book is the book called Quiet and uh, by Susan Cain and another book 
it was is Outliers by Malcolm Gladwell, two pretty popular books. But in the books, um, they both kind of cite similar research. And again, I think the key to all of this is don't just assume you understand somebody because you know where they're coming from. Oh, so are you Eastern Asian? Oh, okay, you must be this way. We we have to get to know the person on a personal level to find out what you know what is unique to them. Uh, but but interestingly, like Malcolm Gladwell always in his book, that one of the things that's most touted is uh, how come it is that Asian Americans have such uh, better math scores and math grades? It's just there's just something natural in Asian Americans that makes them better. You know what? The, maybe the point is that culturally, and this is what Malcolm Gladwell gets into in his book, is culturally they might just think about a math problem as different. I grew up thinking that I'm just not a math person. Townsend's, we just don't do math. We're not math people. You know, we are people of the arts. We are writers. We are, we, you know, we are speakers. You know, we have those gifts. Yet, um, and in America, we're kind of big into that idea that you're kind of just born into this natural state of who you are. In other cultures, though, they might, for example, the rice uh, growing cultures, they understand that it's about time. You have to put time into growing rice. You just aren't a good farmer or a bad farmer. You just have to put the time in. And when you put the time in and you get good at it and you learn how to do it, you'll learn how to grow rice. But you've got to be willing to go out there regularly to take care of the rice. And if you have that instinctive idea inside you that it's just going to take time instead of the instinctive idea that you're either good at it or bad at it, it might impact you. So one of the reasons I wanted to to have Dr. Nisbet on is maybe we need to be teaching our kids, you know, a mix of some of this thinking. The the whole simple idea that he's finding in Eastern Asia about the fact that um, the nail that stands out will be pounded down. Oh, that's scary. We don't want to stand out. But in American or Western culture, a lot of people want to stand out, stand out, even if they're getting pounded down. Pound me some more. Hit me again. Um, there's just something really interesting about just a simple philosophy of the empty wagon makes the most noise. Two very basic philosophies that uh, Dr. Nisbet taught us. And then it gets into another book by Susan Cain, which talks about introversion and we live in a society where you're not – if you're an introvert, you're not necessarily lauded in, in a westernized culture if, you, if you're too, uh, you know, into yourself, quiet, not extroverted enough. Many times in our very culture, we'll spend s- scenarios and situations where our teachers will sit and, and worried they'll go talk to our parents because we maybe don't – we don't talk enough. We're not involved enough. Sometimes teachers might love us because we're so quiet. Oh, your son's wonderful. He's so quiet. So some simply, if you're an introvert or an extrovert, you might be setting yourself up for these differences as well. So you don't even need to always go to Western culture and, and Eastern Asian. You could just simply go to introvert or extrovert. So think of the people in your family. Your spouse might be might drive you crazy because he never wants to go out to dinner ever with the friends. Why doesn't he ever want to go out with your friends? 
Well, it might simply be not just that he hates your friends. It might be that he is an introvert. And that adds a lot of pressure to his day because he's got to go out and feel, he feels like he's got to go prove himself to people. Oh, you don't have to prove yourself. Just relax and talk. But again, for an introvert, getting out of yourself is harder. For an extrovert, being quiet and maybe listening more might be harder. So you might want to just understand yourself. In the end, people are different, whether it's culturally, right? Whether it's just introversion, extroversion, whether it's sensitivity. And when you think about a world we're trying to somehow navigate, I'd make sure you keep yourself humble enough to assume there's a difference here. Don't even assume you know the difference, which is that's why you can't trust your bias or your prejudice, because you don't know if someone's from Eastern Asia or Western Asia. You don't know. You have to get in their mind and start hearing what they're saying and let them influence you. One of the great principles of all time is in order to influence someone positively, you must first be influenced by them. If you're going into an interview today with your boss, before you just start talking and try to fill the room with air, you might want to be influenced by what they're saying. Ask them what, they're, what, you know, what are their concerns, what are their worries. Let them influence you. Then the more you let them influence you, the more power you'll have because you'll understand where we're going with this. But a lot of us, instead, we just immediately jump in. And Westerners, we are so prone to do this. And I, I've joked about it on the show before, but you can see a Westerner in the United States. You can see an American, let's say, in Europe a mile away. <laughs> They're wearing the flag shirt. Well, you got to be proud of your flag. Yeah, you do. Sure. But maybe, you know, a flag, a wife beater flag shirt may not be what you ought to be wearing to the Vatican. Even though these colors don't bleed. <laughs> true, 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 true. But it's still the Vatican. You might want to respect the culture you're in. You might want to respect other things, what others might be thinking. It's a, it's a, tough, it's a tough game, folks. But you, and you can totally be proud of who you are. You can be proud of what you are and simultaneously respect those around us. That's the paradox of life, my friends. Uh, hour number two. It's in the books. We're done. We're going to take a break. And when we come back, uh, continue. More news. We've got uh, BYU Sports Nation will be joining us at the end of this next hour as we set them up for their show coming up. And uh, also uh, more fun, more excitement right here on the Matt Townsend Show on BYU Radio. Good morning, friends. Welcome to the Matt Townsend Show. I am your host, Dr. Matt Townsend, your coach, your guide on the side. Welcome to the third hour of the show. Uh, We've had a great show. Talked politics. We've talked a ton of headlines, the culture also of uh, just Westerners versus East Asians. We see the world differently. It might impact us. Coming up in this hour, we're going to be talking about, are you, you know, the problem of being too nice. Have you ever been too nice that people just take advantage of you? All of a sudden, they just, now you're going to dinner with them and you didn't even want to? Uh, being too nice, folks, may be a problem. <laughs> Terry shakes his head. That's I've, a, I've that, been there. That's an affirmative. 
you, you try to be nice, and then all of a sudden it turns into something else. Next thing you know, you're babysitting. Yeah. And you don't like children. <laughs> anyway, uh, we'll be talking about that with Kim Giles, uh, the, our great life coach. Um, she's going to be working us on this one. I know it. You know, so we'll get into that. I, I'm a yes man. I say yes all the time, except with my kids and my family, I end up saying no quite a bit. I feel like that's the only place I can say no. It's really weird when you can't say no to people. So maybe Kim can help us with that. You don't want to be too nice. Oh, but I don't ever want people to think bad about me. Well, that's okay. Then can you wash my car? Oh, sure. I've got nothing else going on. Oh, the tangled web, my friends. The tangled web. So we're going to get into that uh, as well. Also, BYU Sports Nation will be up at the uh, near the end of the show. We always like to find out what's going on with them. Holy cow, by the way, Notre Dame. Yeah. Are you that kidding was, me? That was an amazing game. They did everything possible to win and lost. Oh, maddening. That I can't get over that. But it just it shows how tough Kentucky is. Yeah. Is, yeah. And how even they can have a bad day, but still, you know, find a way. And, boy, they had them on their knees. They had taken out their kill. Oh, they were. Yeah. And then it came down to foul shots and a couple calls here and there. And Kentucky moves on. And the dream continues. The dream continues. For now, somebody. Yeah. Mm. Sad. But it was interesting. It, it made me watch yeah. Saturday night. I was like, oh, look at that. This is huge. It was me and the three-year-old, and we were just kicked back watching basketball. It well, was monumental, me. let's say, because my wife was watching it. I walked in after dropping one of our kids off for whatever, and my wife's watching the tournament. Right there, one of two things is happening. Uh, she didn't. She was thinking of something else, or it's the end of the world. And yes. I asked her. And Those she, are the only two options. The third option, she said, is I'm just way into this game. Are you watching this? This is huge. If it's close, my wife's interested. Yeah. If not, she could care less. I loved it. Then it, once it was over, it was like, done. Okay. Done with basketball. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know that anybody's going to catch Kentucky now. I don't know. News this morning. What? Someone decided it would be a good idea to drive an SUV into the uh, set of security gates outside the NSA in Fort Meade, Maryland. Oh, how'd that work for him? Uh, what, one dead, two hurt? In the accident? Yeah. Was there an intervention from the NSA there's, agents? There's guards all across this security checkpoint. Holy cow. And uh, they're investigating now why someone would want to do that, but it happened about 930 Eastern. Mm. And... Uh, yeah, dark-colored SUV, damaged white police SUV alongside an ambulance. So that'll that'll develop through the day. But, yeah, someone thought they should drive into literally the NSA. Do people not know what the NSA, who they are? These are guys you don't mess with. No. So interesting stuff there. Uh, the uh, co-pilot from German Wings yeah. aircraft that crashed in France. That is France, right? In the French Alps. French Alps, yep. Uh, Andreas Lubis, he uh, deliberately crashed the airline. He received treatment years ago for suicidal tendencies, prosecutors said on Monday. Hmm. In the following period, and until recently, further doctor's visits took place, resulting in sick notes, which, without any suicidal tendencies or aggression against others being recorded, 
A spokesperson uh, for the prosecutor said in a statement, however, investigators said they had yet to determine any motive for why he did what he did with the airplane. Yeah. They're, the now they're getting plane. all tight-lipped about it. But again, if somebody has depression, they are not normally going to go do this. So this is like the 1% of the 1% of the 1%. Huh. But it's interesting. He did have treatment for psychological issues earlier on. And he also had treatment, I heard, about eyesight, something yes. about his vision. He had some vision issues and some you know, I mean, psychological you, issues. So. You can imagine that if you're finding out that your eyes are so bad, something's going on that you're not allowed to fly, and flying is your great catharsis. And, you know, you can't put off your company anymore. Maybe that's, you know. Maybe that was the trigger. A combination. A new Reuters poll finds that 34% of Republicans called President Obama an imminent threat to the United States versus 25% who ranked President Vlad- Russian President Vladimir Putin as a wow. 23%. They see, they see Obama as a bigger threat than Putin. Syrian President Bashar al-Assad as, as also as the third dangerous on this list of <laughs> going down goodness. the list here. So Assad kills 200,000 people, yep. murders in a genocide. 200,000 people, not as big of a threat as President Obama, according to Republican. They talked to just over 2,000 people, just over 1,000 Democrats, 1,000 Republicans, and these are the numbers they came up with. Wow. I think they need to get out there more, the PR. (laughs) 27% of Republicans gave... Uh, the highest score to uh, Democrats being a, a detriment to the to our society, and 22% of Democrats similarly ranked the GOP as an imminent threat. See, this is the, the so this is just yeah, the culture this divide. Is this is just polar. you're oh you're a Democrat, you're bad. Republican, bad. Leader of the Democrats, President Obama, really bad. Boehner, darkness, darkness. Off we go, folks. We got to think deeper than that. Holy cow. Assad is a bad dude. We've talked about drones the last few weeks. Amazon is testing their drones right now. <laughs> they have a uh, a vast plot of land in uh, British Columbia, okay, in Canada. Yeah. They've left the country to do this because the going, United States yeah. won't let them. They're That's dragging right. their feet. Remember, Go to annoyed. Canada. I'm sure the Canadians are excited. They're up there flying their drones around. Yeah. The idea is that uh, it, a lot of their products, they, something like 86% of the stuff they ship is under five pounds. Right. So even if it fell, it would only probably give you a so concussion. So the plan is to test drones that weigh about 55 pounds total with mm-hmm. all the mechanism and everything, and then they carry things that are fairly light. So let me get this straight. So is this drone going to fly onto my front step and drop the package? That's the idea. Take a picture of the house probably to show that it was dropped. Proof of life. And then leave. Yeah. Interesting. And they have people testing this. They have all their computer experts in there figuring out the, how to automate such a... What do a GPS bunch of experts? Let's just say two kids are playing ball on the front lawn, and a drone flies in. I guess everyone just knows. Watch out for the drone. It's UPS or it's Amazon. Amazon well, it could be UPS. Yeah. Could be FedEx. Could it be any of these companies? It could They're be Russia or Assad or President Obama. It could flying. also be Facebook. What they're experimenting with solar powered drones. Last Thursday, it said they talked about it last Thursday, hoping it'll bring internet to billions of people around the world. It's mm. called the Aquila, with the wingspan of a Boeing seven sixty seven. Will be able to stay aloft for up to three months at a time. 
It helps to reach the, uh, the 5 billion people on earth who haven't already signed up for Facebook. That's oh, kind of the idea. Please, let's, let's instead, let's cure cancer. <laughs> well, you're bringing the internet to people and they can have the access that allows them yeah. to have access to other things they can't get to because of... I know, but wouldn't they rather computers. just have water? They could come up with plans for water. They could get in contact with people who could bring in funding for water. It's know, just, okay. The Internet could provide more it opportunities could. for them. They're looking at it for pushing Facebook out for people. Yeah. But the, the Internet to people, and it's, yeah. it's a massive airplane, no, it's huge. solar power, and as it flies around, it's basically a hub for Internet connections. Now, it seems like Maslow taught a hierarchy of needs. Yes. That we had basic needs that had to be met first. Then you get to social needs and... You know, transcendent needs. Speaking of needs. I wonder where Facebook fits into the needs. What about Jell-O? Uh, you need it. That is a staple. One analyst thinks that we could soon be seeing the end of Jell-O. What? Morningstar analyst Aaron Lash suggests that Jell-O could be among the casualties of the new Heinz Craft merger that happened last week. What? Or the plans for it that were announced last week. It was despite investments to try and turn around the brand, it just doesn't seem to be winning over consumers for whatever reason. You know what? This would bring LDS faithful to their knees. How do you have a picnic without some jello? Holy cow. It's happening, folks. That is a sign of the times. J E L L O. Scary. What happens when you don't have jello? Man. <sighs> Remember, you heard that news here. Here first, a sign of the times, Jello. We might be losing it because of the Heinz buyout of Kraft. Well, we're going to take a break. Let's come back. When we come back, uh, Kim Giles is going to be joining us, and Kim's going to be teaching us about being too nice. Is it a problem to be too nice? Think about that. Are you too nice to everybody around you? Do you end up saying yes a lot? Do you end up feeling like you're taking advantage of? That's what we're going to talk about. With the great coach, Kim Giles, up next right here on the Matt Townsend Show on BYU Radio. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show in the house. In the house. Kim Giles is with us. Kim is uh, the president and founder of Clarity Point Life Coaching, popular life coach, named one of the top 20 advice gurus in the country by Good Morning America in 2010. She also has over 240 articles published in newspapers and magazines. She is the real deal. You can find out uh, more about her at claritypointcoaching.com, where, by the way, she offers a ton of just free assessments, tools, and those articles. So, Kim, good to have you. Thanks, Matt. You are Always happy uh, to be here. You've you've got this huge keg of water. <laughs> I don't think I've ever seen. It's like a it's like a it's like a two liter bottle of water. Gallon. I know. Like I'm trying barrel. to stay hydrated. Well, yeah. Yeah. You drink all that, you're going to be in trouble. Spend the whole day in the bathroom. <laughs> you are going to drown, my friend. Hey, what's the deal with people being too nice? I feel like sometimes I get in situations where I can't say no. And so I end up saying yes because I want to be nice. I always want to help. Well, the question is, why can't we say no? Why do we keep behaving this way and being too nice? Ugh. Why? And I think the real problem is I, when I explain this to a client, I always draw sort of a, a timeline. 
And I think there's two ends of the scale. And one is where I'm overly selfless. And I'm so loving and nice. But in being overly selfless, I'm literally making other people more important than me. Their needs are more important than mine. And then on the other end of the scale is overly selfish, where I'm going to be mean. I'm going to put my needs above other people's. Mm. And so all of us look at those two ends and we try to figure out which is worse. And for most of us, we definitely don't want to be mean and selfish. So we're going to err on being a doormat. But there's some who think being a doormat is the worst evil. I am not going to be walked on. That is not going to happen. So they end up being the ones that are too mean and say (laughs) no to everybody. And and the problem is that we think those are our only two options. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, they're too nice or too mean. But you're saying it's not? There's other options? There is another option. Hire an assistant. This is what I've learned. (laughs) If you hire an assistant, then they can say no and they can be the mean one. And you're always the nice one. Yeah, or blame it on your spouse. Sorry, my husband won't yeah. let me do that. <laughs> yeah. My spouse doesn't let us do that. No, I I think if you have a problem with this and you err on the side of being too nice, you literally have a subconscious program that says other people are more important than me. And I think a lot of Christian people oh, yeah. read the scripture, love your neighbor instead of yourself. Yeah. Over When really uh, it's over as you. yourself. <laughs> yeah. But it's so really though, but that, because sometimes religion might be part of that because mom tells us to be nice and, and Christ was nice. Yes. So be Christ-like. So you always say, yes, yeah, sure. I can do that. But then I go home and I'm ticked and yes. I'm so mad at, and now I've got to go do a bake sale and I don't even know how to bake. Okay, so I've got a few rules that help me to know if this is one I should say no to. So the first, if I'm going to resent the person who's asking me, if I say yes and do it, but I'm going to resent them for it, then they would prefer for me to say no than to do it and resent it. Without the resentment, right. We say yes with resentment instead of no without resentment. Right. So my husband and I have this conversation sometimes. He wants me to do something. I really don't want to do it. And I, okay, I, it's all right. I'll go with you. I'll do it. And he'll say, well, wait, if you're going to resent me for it, I'd, I'd rather you, you not go. You just don't do it. So that's a good. That's a great. But you're just asking that question. Are you going to resent me? Yeah. If I say yes or but no. you got to be honest. No, I'll love you. Whatever. Just let's go, you idiot. Get in the car. <laughs> I'm feeling resentment already. Okay, so number two is yeah. if you're going to feel taken from mm. and and almost walked on. Robbed, be- yeah. Yeah, then you shouldn't be doing it. Three, if it's going to force you to miss something that is really important to you, then you need to own that you're just as important as other people. And there's some things that are really important to you that you should let them sacrifice and you should yeah. make you happy. We really need to have a healthy balance between the two. Right. Sometimes we take care of them and sometimes we take care of us. And if you don't have a healthy balance down the road, it's going to be a problem. One of the things I see happen if you're a sacrificer yeah. and you always give up yeah. and make everybody else happy, after a while, people start to assume you're going to do that yeah. and they take it for granted. And you'll find they don't even appreciate your sacrifice anymore. They've started to see that you're not as important as them, too. And so you've taught <laughs> you them, them to treat you this way. Oh, that's bad. Don't that's you think? a bad day when they are like, oh, yeah. Or, or they just think you're spineless or that you, you have no preferences. And you're totally fine with no preferences. Yeah. You, well, you've taught them that that's yeah. how you are. Because you're you never fine voice to a preference. sacrifice. 
But see, then what's interesting is if then you come back after years of this and now you have a preference. Well, then they're going to see you as selfish for a yeah, while. Now they're you're gonna, just rude. They're going to have an issue with it for mm-hmm. a while. But you've got to just work through that stage until they get used to it because it's better for everybody right. if you handle your relationship in a healthy way. And then my last reason I say no is if I know saying yes to this is going to push me over the edge of sanity – it's one more thing that I can handle, and and I'm going to really suffer from yeah. doing it, then I absolutely should say no. Holy cow. I'm ruining – I'm violating all of your rules because I, I end up saying yes, but I almost end up saying yes once like because I kind of create a rule for like how many speeches I'll do. Oh, you mean like the free ones yeah. where – Yeah, so like if it's... I have a – I'll, I'll do three free ones a month. Yeah. And then my people just go and they fill up three free ones a month. But then they'll say, okay, there's this one charity that's got this really neat thing and the, and the people, children have died. Do yeah, you want, do I'm you want to do that way. One? I have to admit. I, yeah, I better do the one for the one where the people died. So, I'll do yeah. that. so then it ends up by the end of the year that you did pretty much four. But Matt, if you can go do those and you're not going to resent them and you're going to have a great experience, then it is the right thing well, to say yes. It is. And it, then – but it also takes time away f- from other things. Yeah, usually my family. Yeah. Is the, yeah. So we got to do Because I love doing it. I would do it all day if I could just do that and still have my family time. Okay. So I'll tell you what you ought to do. What? I have a just a rule for myself that I never commit to anything on the spot. I always say, let me check my calendar and call you back because I need that time to step back from yeah. it and really figure out – if I can handle this, if it's too big of a sacrifice for my family, I, I need a minute. And I found I'm more likely to say yes on the spot with That's and true. then regret it later. So it's a good boundary to never commit if you have trouble That's saying no. That's a great no. rule. Great rule. And plus it's like you always have an out. Like my wife at the door the other day had a salesman trying to sell the crud out of her. And she's like, well, we don't make decisions until we talk to our spouse. So I'm, let me talk to him and well, when will he be here? <laughs> Next week. Sometime. I was hiding in the bedroom. I'm here right now. <laughs> Interesting. That's a great lesson. What else? What else should we do to kind of distinguish? Because if it is fear, how do I not be so fearful that I give up my life? Well, this is the first thing we do need to clarify for everybody that being too nice, it's not really a nice problem. It's a fear and weakness problem. Yeah, you're trying to frame it like you're an you, angel. Yes. You want to say, I'm just so loving. As a matter of fact, I was speaking to a, a group this week and I had a lady come up. What do I do if I'm just too loving? I'm just <laughs> so loving. I just give and give and give. And I said, honey, that's not love. That's not love. <laughs> no, that's fear and weakness that taking care of yourself is selfish and bad. Yeah. And that's a problem. And it's not just about saying no. I think... It generally in life, I mentioned to you off the air after listening to your segment about Eastern versus yeah, Western, culture. Western culture, that I worked in an office for a while with an Asian person. Yeah. And and I spent a month in China years ago. And one of the things I noticed in that culture was that they'll get on a bus and there's three or four people. Instead of spreading out, they'll sit right next to you. And I'm like, Oh, uh, there's plenty what? of empty seats away from uh, me. Why do we? Uh, why do you have to sit right next? Yeah, because they don't have the same personal space rules yeah. as yeah. We, we do. Yeah, we have this nice boundary around us. So I discovered I have a big personal space boundary. Yeah. Um, even at the speech I gave the other night, some people came up after you know to talk to you, and they were standing way too close, and I just, <laughs> I got 
I got issues I know, that's here. Funny. So I worked in this office with this Asian man who really was four feet in front of my face every time we talked. And I, I kept or hoping. Four inches more. Yeah, four inches. A foot, less than a foot. Oh, yeah. And I would step back and he would step forward. Maybe back, he was enamored. Forward. Maybe he was like, wow. Well, that's what you worry. As a woman in the workplace, yeah. it feels inappropriate. Yeah. But I was too nice to say anything. I did not want to hurt his feelings and, you know, make him feel yeah. like he's a weirdo or anything. So I just kept putting up with it and putting up with it. And it's this kind of behavior. I think a lot of us are doormats. We put up with yeah. being walked on. And, and then and, and meanwhile, every time you're uncomfortable and you're not changing this. And if he's going to work with you a long time, this will never change. No. And I'm I'm resenting it more and more and more. Yeah. And I have to admit, I I called it being too nice to say anything, but behind his back to my husband every night, I was making jokes about it. Yeah, him. you were mean. The close talker. I was mean. So obviously become, this wasn't love motivated. Then you become who you don't want to be. Now all of a sudden you're a back backbiter, gossip. Yeah. Making fun of a human being, which is not the person you want to be. That's where the talk to the hand sign came up. You just put your hand in his face and push him back. Well, Maybe that's not. what my husband said. I would have just said, dude, back off a little, and it would have been over. Yeah. And I'm, oh, as a woman, I just am too nice to do that. <laughs> kind sir, could you give me a foot or two? Um, we're going to take a break. We're talking with Kimberly Giles uh, from the website, claritypointcoaching.com. Great advice on maybe uh, maybe it's not about being too nice, my friends. Maybe you have a other issue or two. Maybe you're just afraid of what others will think. You don't want to hurt their feelings. We'll come back, giving you more tools, more ideas to help you uh, live uh, longer and love stronger with Kim Giles. This is the Matt Townsend Show right here on BYU Radio. to the Matt Townsend Show. Kim Giles is in the house from ClarityPointCoaching.com. you got to go check out that website. More uh, free stuff that can help you in your life per pound on that website than any other website on the earth. ClarityPointCoaching.com. Kim is teaching us about uh, being too nice. Yeah, so let's talk about a couple ways to kind of fix this in yourself. Fix it, yeah. And a matter of fact, Aver, we're talking about the fact you need a vacation one I of totally these days because yep. you don't take good enough care of I yourself. Don't. I'm falling apart. Go dragging so, my leg everywhere. <laughs> we all need to recognize that this is a healthy balance that we have to have between taking care of ourselves and other people. And if you don't have that healthy balance, it's actually hurting your relationships. Other, the people in your life will start to take you for granted yeah. that you're going to be the sacrificer. They won't appreciate it when you do make a sacrifice, and you will start to resent them for that. And it's going to drive a, a, a wedge right. in the relationship if you're too nice. And you, you think you're being nice, but you're really just you're just paving the way to death, <laughs> socially, emotionally, spiritually, 
It's just hurting you. Yeah. And we've got this idea that our self-sacrifice always benefits other people, like me not telling the space invader person that I was serving him. But in reality, I started to realize if he needs somebody who loves him enough to tell him that in America that makes people uncomfortable so that it doesn't hold him back in his career. And in the end, I talked to him. Did you? Because I realized it was more loving and nice to say something. Yeah. And and there's a lot of times it's it's better for people to to get an opportunity to solve a problem on their own. Uh, maybe you saying no to some of those speeches is going to give someone else an opportunity oh, to speak there that would benefit from it. I could even refer them. I could give them the number. Call this person. Sure. Yeah. So we've got to understand that being overly nice sometimes is the wrong thing to do mm-hmm. on a lot of levels. Um, we also often are nice because we're afraid of what other people are going to think of us. Yeah. And you've got to understand that what other people think of you is irrelevant. It doesn't change your value. It's you have true. the same value. And in the end, most people respect you when you're someone who's both strong and loving, not loving, weak, and spineless. And dying. Right. Exactly. Yes. Having Being a strong person who's able to speak your truth and take care of yourself, people respect that. And, and they actually will like you more. Uh, also, remember, you're teaching people how to treat you. So if you're overly self-sacrificing and nice all the time, people start to think that you're not valuable and they <laughs> walk on you. That's right. Because you're literally setting that standard. Well, it's so important that you, you're communicating. And if everything is a yes, then there are no no's in your book. So, so really, I have to say no eventually for there to be no's in my book. Yeah. And usually we just say no to ourselves when nobody knows it. Like, no, I'm not going to take that break. No, I'm not going to do this. No, I'm not going to do this. But a yes for someone else is a no. It is. And if I'm not saying it, then they're not learning it. And especially with our kids, too. I I always say no to my kids. Well, they're easy to say no to. But even that's, you know, I need to say no to myself and others more and more yeses to my kids, probably. Got to just watch the balance. And you know you're out of balance when you're spinning, right? When you're... Well, and when you're, yeah, when you're starting to feel negative emotion and resent it and and overwhelm and exhaustion and, okay, that's a good sign. You're you're out of balance. Um, I had someone point out an interesting visual on this the other day that killing people obviously is a mean, bad thing. We shouldn't kill people. Bad. Let's get back out Everybody knows that. Yeah. Though, if someone breaks into my house... And my family's in danger. I suddenly am okay with it, right? right. (laughs) So really, self-defense does come before self-sacrifice. Interesting. Right? Because you're not going to just sacrifice yourself and let them kill your family. Yeah. You're going to protect yourself. Yeah. So it's a principle of truth that you matter and that when... You know, someone's threatening your safety. You have the right to choose you. Now, we think physical safety is the only place that applies, but I think my mental state is definitely in the same boat. So if if something's going to harm my family by doing this nice act of service and speaking to that group, your family's going to suffer. Yeah. It may Absolutely. be the right choice to protect your family. And and again, it's equal to physical. It's not just for sa- physical safety, socially, emotionally, spiritually. You have to protect yourself. You do. And it doesn't mean you're selfish. It just means you're smart. And healthy. Yeah. Healthy people protect themselves. They do. 
Then you're not going to fall into like a codependent pattern with someone. And, and I love the fact that the Bible says, love your neighbor as yourself. It's clearly there. Yeah. So I have proof that God approves my being selfish on occasion and yeah. making sure I see my value as the same as other people's. Mm-hmm. And I balance both. Yeah, don't esteem, don't elevate everyone else above you. Yeah, don't think you got to <laughs> sacrifice all the time to be a righteous, good person. Man, Kim, where have you been all my life? Hey, let's do this. Let's. Can you stick with us through the sports? Uh, because I want to have you come back and teach us at the very end. Take a few minutes and teach us. How did you tell that guy that uh, he talked too close? Yeah, because that's a that's I think a, ten, it's a like, skill everybody needs to need have. To, so they need to know how to do it. How, everybody, stick with us. We're going to come back. Do uh, go talk to BYU Sports Nation. We'll talk to Spencer and Jerem there, and then uh, if you'll hang with us. Kim Giles will be back, and she's going to teach us how to say it. What do you say to uh, the person that just needs a little pushback? This is the Matt Townsend Show. We'll be right back. You're listening to us right here on Sirius XM 143 BYU Radio. Welcome back, friends. That's the hoedown music, which means it's time to go down into uh, Studio B with BYU Sports Nation, Spencer and Jerem. Hello, gentlemen. Happy, yeah. happy Monday. Yeah. <laughs> what happened to Jerem? I'm on a horse. <laughs> he watched, uh, what, what movie did you watch last night? I watched three movies yesterday, actually. Wow. Okay, so you watched one that dealt Sick with a horse, though. Mask of Zorro. That's one. Mask that's of Zorro. Uh, Jeremy yes. watched the Mask of Zorro, so he is Zorro today. Antonio Banderas. <laughs> that, you know what? So with a sick baby, you didn't have to go. Uh, that sounded wrong. You didn't go to church because you were taking care of your baby. So you yeah. got to watch Well, I went TV. to a part of church and okay. then made sure everything was stable at home. Yes, that was smart. There were also uh, two Elite Eight games and three movies. Yeah, I basically just watched television yesterday. Somebody's <laughs> a vegetable. Somebody's a couch potato. That's how I keep Sabbath. <laughs> what did you do, Spencer? Let's see. You just uh, worshipped? No, you know what? I stayed home with my sick child. You guys are so full of it. <laughs> Elite <laughs> Eight, and now everyone's kid is sick. Come I'm on. Serious. I didn't even – I watched only one half of the Elite Eight. Are you I, serious? Yeah, I did not watch – any moments from the first game, and I didn't watch the first half of the Gonzaga-Duke game because I was with my sick child. I was with my sick child watching the games. You guys, I, you know what? Yes, but my sick child is three and a half and requires way more attention than yours does. Just move the attention place to where the TV is. <laughs> no, he wants to play. He wants to do boys, things with me. Boys, boys. How boring is boys, that? Doing things? Go, go to your room. Go to your room. I'm We're not going to listen room. to this. Dr. Matt, we need some help. Uh, you guys need an intervention. Seriously. I've never heard so much fighting. I hey, had so much fun yesterday. I don't need any intervention. It was fantastic. Hey, we've got to talk about something that I want to do. When I read this, I thought of you two. Okay. Because you remember that one time we were at the airport and I was watching you two going through TSA, through no. the screeners? No. Um, so TSA has put out some some guidelines, indicators, a list of indicators to look for to see if you might be a terrorist. <laughs> And you guys violate about six of them, six out of the ten. It's okay. Here they are. You need to be looking for exaggerated yawning. Okay. Excessive complaints about the screening process. 
Okay. Every That's Jerem. Yes. Excessive throat clearing. That's Spencer. Excessive throat clearing. <clears throat> Widely open staring eyes. <laughs> wearing Emma Stone's default look. <laughs> wearing improper attire for the location. Jerem. Improper attire? Mm-hmm. Who's to say what's proper or not? Uh, TSA. If yeah, you have clearly. to ask, whistling. Yeah. If you're whistling during the screening process, <laughs> by the way, I and some more. If you're gazing down, if you're exaggerated, what? if you this if you have joke. if you have exaggerated repetitive grooming gestures, so if you're always like fixing your hair, the or fawns would not do well. Tightening your strong, right? If your face is pale from recent shaving of a beard. <laughs> If you Every have BYU student, yeah. So if you have, um, if you have like beard hair all over your shirt from your shaving it in the car. Every BYU student mm-hmm. at an inch mills, and yeah. or rubbing or wringing of hands. I want you guys to who know made this, this list. The TSA, they're looking I mean, out for you. Who? Like, is there a list of everything that a nervous person does when they're trying to get away with something? And they're like, that's yes. the list. That is also the list, by the way, that I'm going to post. For fathers whose daughters are going out on dates with a creep, oh, if they man. have any of those, booyah, you got I don't, it. Wow. What do you What do you do in the TSA line? You That's just, one like, of the dumbest there and... things I've ever heard. Are you robot mode? <laughs> yeah, just just look straight. No, no it's you just, just I just calm. look at Twitter. Breathe in through your nose, Good out through your mouth. This. Meditate, yeah. meditate. Hmm. Uh, guys, I'm here to help you that way. See, by the way, can I just teach you a little thing? I distracted you from your earlier fight. Yes, you did do you a also, very nice job of that. Now I want you, you to also sort of started the fight, but that's, I, ex- fine. that's true too. It didn't happen <laughs> until you went on there. I want you two to turn to each other, and I want you to hug each other. Hug it out. Jerem will not do that. I'm trying. I'm reaching. It's in my for contract Jaren, that no one. Uh, we do not have to hug Spencer. Just kidding. There's plenty of bro hugs. That go hey, on here. what's on the show today? Your show. Let's see. My show's over. Wait, we have a show. Yeah. Did you guys not know? Oh, I thought this was it for today. Yeah. No, no, you got a show. Um, Spring football, Friday Night Lights, yes. Uncle Mendenhall uh, offering his analysis on what he thought he saw. And does it really make a difference? I mean, how much does spring football really correlate to the fall? Like, how, how much can you get better when you are five months away from your first game? 4%. That's probably what Jerem thinks. 4%, maybe, I don't know, maybe a little higher. No, that's 25% or so. Mm-hmm. That, yeah, that'll be part of our discussion. See, that's going to be good. The other will be just our takeaways from spring. What have we seen from BYU football? Uh, that lends us to think uh, certain things for the fall. Plus, Taysom Hill and Bronco Hall spoke one-on-one with uh, Spencer. Also, Spencer fielded some, or attempted to field some punts <laughs> Friday night. I don't know oh, if you saw this. No. Bronco Hall had quite the comment. Uh, what did Bronco uh, say about uh, your your fielding work? Well, he, the thing is, he didn't even see it. I think he heard about it. <laughs> he heard the the gasp from but the crowd. I, but then I talked about the challenge that I had been issued to run a four point nine second yeah. forty yard dash yeah. oh, that's this what he was Friday. That's right. And uh, did he you know, laugh? Bronco, a- any filter that Bronco has with me was gone. Yeah, he pulled that down. <laughs> and he just said, uh, basically, you have no talent. It's not personal. Oh wow. <laughs> Wow. <laughs> That's the gist of it. Wow. And then Spencer proceeded to say, can we get more than eight wins, please? Ooh. Oh. No, he, oh. no, he, no, he didn't say that, although that would have been funny. Words. That would have been really funny. Oh. You guys, you got to be careful. No, Spencer did not say that. He I has tact. Yeah, he does. He does. He just said it in another way. Yeah. Yeah. It's nothing know. personal. I want more than eight wins, Bronco. You know, something like that would have been in order. I can hardly wait for Friday, by the way. Yeah, it's uh, it's going to be real. I have some people helping me. I got trainers and everything. What, what so. time of day are you doing that? 
Uh, just after the show, I think around eleven o'clock. Okay, We're doing perfect. a two-hour show on Friday. Are you really? So right excellent. After. Oh, excellent. afternoon then. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So, so two we, hours. Can you imagine two hours in a day, man? That's <laughs> no, crazy. Uh, no, I can't. It sounds really hard. <laughs> oh, Jeez. two hours. Hey, by the way, uh, I'm going to have that be the first thing we talk about on my show on Monday. My success running a four nine forty. Okay, uh-huh. sounds good to me. Yep. And what Broncos' first comments on it? <laughs> okay, guys, you got to go do your show. Go get in shape. Go do a few push-ups, Jerem. That's what you always do before the show. I hear. And uh, best of luck to you. Hey, thanks, man. I eat. <laughs> I eat. Over and out. Take care, boys. Uh, that's uh, those are the guys. BYU Sports Nation. Spencer Linton, Jerem Jordan. They're um, the real deal. Spencer doesn't have a chance of running a four nine. You think, Brandon? Anything is possible. I mean, if I was being chased by a, you know, a cougar. No, I can't say cougar. Maybe they factor that in. Maybe that'll improve his time of thing. Yeah, you can't say cougar anymore. It's I think Bronco has access to cougars, live cougars. So you, you just get him. Yeah, I think that'd be great. Uh, if, if he's being chased by a, a cheetah, he'd run. Yeah. Mm, mm, mm. Hey, in the house, we uh, poor Kim had to sit here and listen to all of that. Isn't that weird? Oh, it was very entertaining. Kim Giles. I enjoyed it. No, you were bored, I could tell. <laughs> She's like I was looking at my phone. You were sleeping. Kim's from ClarityPointCoaching.com. By the way, the author of the book Choosing Clarity, uh, The Path to Fearlessness, I had a woman come up to me and say, I'm reading the best book ever. And I'm like, What is it? She's like, Choosing Clarity. Really? Yes. Oh, that makes me she so She said happy. it's it's fantastic. It's changing my life. And then she went out and robbed a bank. It wasn't because of my book. No, she said it was exactly because of your book. <laughs> your book changed her life, gave her the fearlessness to go out and rob that bank to get that. No, she's she loves you. You're doing great. You were talking beforehand about a close talker at work that you didn't – you just kind of were always being nice, but he just kept being a close talker. Yeah, just standing too close and making me uncomfortable. So I finally decided that it was the loving thing to do to talk to him about it yes. and ask him to back off. And I thought it might help. Listeners, because we've all got this kind of situation right. where someone's behavior is bothering us and we want to speak up about it, we don't but we don't want to hurt their feelings. Could be your in law, could be your spouse. Yeah. Could be your parole officer. So um, you always mention all the free stuff on my website. Just so everybody knows, if they want this formula, I'm going to tell you right now, it's on my website on the resources page, claritypointcoaching.com. Okay. The validating communication formula. It's on there. Money. And you can practice it. It's also in the book. Yeah. Um, but the bottom line is, before you even talk to somebody, you've got to check yourself on a couple things. Number one, you can't go into this with fear. You've got to go into this from a place of love, not fear. So I kind of have to just remind myself right before that my value is not on the line yeah. here. And however this goes, it's going to be a good lesson for both of us. There's nothing to be afraid of. Number two, I have to make sure I'm seeing the other person as the same as me. As an equal. As an equal. And I mentioned earlier, I'd been kind of seeing him as a weirdo. Yeah, yeah. And if I approach him and any of that's in my energy, he's going to feel it. And then he will be offended. So I have to remember he's a human being with the same value as me and and treat him with respect. And so next time he came in my office, I asked him if we could talk for a minute. And then instead of starting off with what I want to say, I always start off. Asking questions about them and yeah. listening. So I asked him, hey, every once in a while, I just like to check in with the people I work with and see how you're feeling about work. How are things going from your point of view? 
And I got him talking, and it gave me a chance to listen. Was he really close to you when he was talking? No, he was okay. across the desk okay, that's this good. time. You so caught we were him okay. when he was far away. Yeah, okay. I got him across the desk. Um, but then I actually asked him if there was anything I could do better in the course of the work we did together to, to do a better job, if he would give me that's any great. feedback. Yeah. And being open to that really was building a relationship of trust between us. So he felt yeah. really safe. And then I asked him if it would be all right if I asked him a favor. And he said, sure, because I'd really earned it yeah. because I'd been listening to him and showing him that I really care about how he feels. And then I want you to just notice how I worded this, Matt. Okay. I said, listen, I apparently have some personal space issues, and I feel really uncomfortable when people stand too close to me. Yeah. And I just wondered if you would be willing to be really aware of that and give me lots of personal space moving forward. Would you be okay with but you, you made it about you. I have a personal space issue, not you're a close talker. And every chance you get, use I statements, not you statements. Yeah. I feel this way. I've noticed this. This is my observation mm-hmm. is a lot less of an attack than you do this. That's right. You are crazy. And also notice if I had said last week, you really made me uncomfortable when you did this. Mm-hmm. And last month you did that. If I focus on past behavior, it just makes people upset and defensive because they can't change the Uh, past. There's nothing they can do. So if you're always focused on, hey, moving forward, would you be willing to treat me a little different than this? good. It'll just go over well. And doesn't that sound strong but loving at the same time? And it's off your plate. And you got it done. Kim Giles. Kim Giles, author of Choosing Clarity. Go to that website, claritypointcoaching.com. And when you get there, you could go to resources. Then go down to validating conversations. All that information there for you. Kim, thanks for joining us. Thanks, Matt. Great, great insight. Happy to be here. Folks, that's the show. There you have it. All the tools you need. Remember, we can't do the show without you. So please join us again tomorrow. Three more hours to help you live longer, love stronger, and lead the ones you're with. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Our goal, again, to help you find the good in the world. Thanks for joining us. We'll be back tomorrow. Hope to talk with you again then.